oh, you know, these stunt guys, they must be like adrenaline junkies. They must just love to go crazy and jump off of buildings. And he was just like, no, he's like, these, these are like, the things we do are highly trained, highly rehearsed to the point of ad nauseum where you can't screw it up. And we design the stunts so that they're the safest possible thing they yeah. could ever be. And to the point of like, production is so mad about all the money we spent just trying to make sure he doesn't break, break a pinky, you know? Yeah. And he goes, so no, it's not just about being an asshole and an idiot and jumping off a building. Yeah. Like it's about how to make a super safe, predictable, rehearsed thing look awesome. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is stuntman Kale Schultz. For the last decade, Kale has been the director of operations for 8711 Action Design, the world's premier action design and martial art choreography team. As a stuntman, stunt rigger, martial artist, and student of all things diet, health, and fitness related, Kale has done his best to find a balance between Hollywood life and real life not only for himself, but also for his training clients and fellow stunt performers. My stepfather was a special effects man at Universal Studios in L.A. when I was a child, and I got to go to the sets where they filmed the movies now and then. It was always fascinating to me, and having that exposure as a child helped me to always realize that whatever happened in the movies was make-believe. As a therapist, I can tell you that many children and adults do not realize that and are negatively impacted by a lot of movies they see because they can't differentiate illusion from reality. Sound familiar? A few years ago at Paleo FX in Austin, Penny, Angie, Mana, and I met Alex and Sarah Rybczynski for lunch, and when we showed up to meet them, they were with a very large, muscular, powerful, Viking-like man with a bald head and a long beard. That was Kale Schultz. At first, I thought he was one of the pro football players Alex coaches, but I soon found out that Kale was a stuntman in Hollywood, has been in many top action movies, and is a very cool, highly intelligent, loving man. First appearances can be deceiving. When I found out that Kale would be at Alex's and Sarah's wedding, I invited him to join me for a dialogue on my podcast. I wanted to share what it's like to be a stuntman in high-action movies and dig into life in the movies with Kale, so that's what we did, and much more. Some of the topics of discussion you'll get to enjoy between Kale and I today are what movies has he been in that most of us would know? How did Kale's life unfold such that he became not only a stuntman but heavily involved in movie production? Why Kale feels eating and living healthy is important for him as a stuntman. How has COVID changed the way movies are being made? Is there truth to the belief that Hollywood movies are being used to brainwash people? and as marketing vehicles to sell specific products. Kale was very fun to dialogue with. He's very intelligent, and trust me, if you saw him in person, you'd be more likely to think he was a professional bodyguard, strongman, or one of those guys from ZZ Top after 10 years of intense weight training. But under that very wise, intelligent, loving, fit strongman, we had a great time training together at Alex's and Sarah's lovely new gym, too. And had lots of fun, and I got to meet his beautiful girlfriend, Michelle, who's also involved in many of the things he's involved in. So enjoy experiencing life as a stuntman and movie producer with Kale Schultz. All right, everybody, welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today I have a fun show for you. It's titled Stuntman, Life in the Movies. 
And we get to spend some time with Kale Schultz, who has spent a lot of time in a lot of movies in his life. Yeah, I'm getting there. Not as many as a lot of people, but I, I am building the resume. <laughs> yes. My IMDb page is looking better and better all the time. <laughs> what, Kale, uh, what are some of the movies that you've been in that we might remember? Probably the most recognizable one, which you probably didn't know at the time, but in the first John Wick movie, there's a guy in a, hot, a, a large Russian man that hops out of the hot tub in a Speedo and has a fight with Keanu Reeves, and that was me. So that was my, that was probably my, still my favorite fight scene every day. Cause number one, it was our, the very first movie we did as 8711 production company together. My two bosses co-directed plus a fight with Keanu Reeves. You know, when you're, when you're growing up, that's things that, uh, on the, 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 the list to check off of. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Being a great action movie someday. Yes. And you've been in a number of them. What are some other ones? Um, well, I, I was in, uh, there's another movie called Atomic Blonde, which was with Charlize Theron. I um, saw that one. Yeah, that was really awesome because I got to spend like six months in Budapest, wow. which I love that city. Oh, that wow. was a just a great experience. It was probably my first time I was really ever out of the country for a nice. long time, other than Canada, you know. Um, that one, and then John Wick 3 I was in, although you don't see my face because, of course, they killed me in the first John Wick, <laughs> but I, I played a number of roles, uh, getting killed a lot. Um, I was in Logan um done a bunch of tv show been on ncis you know a dozen or so times. is that right yeah just a random thug that gets killed or beat up oh, um, wow. i play a lot of those bodyguard bouncer roles where they give me a, a line like oh sorry party's closed and then i get beat up and that kind of thing so. that's cool so um you know i i first met you because uh my two of my top students and now instructors for the Czech institute alex and sarah who work with you and and do some coaching work with you uh you were visiting them when i was here at paleo fx three years ago yeah, we, we were trying to figure two or three years ago at least which that's actually a, a much longer story i had met sarah online in a facebook paleo group oh neat. years and years before that wow and then she ended up producing introducing me to um keith and michelle norris you know who run paleo right. we met in la because they were had a um, workout machine they wanted me to try out and then the following years when that got moved to the Palmer Convention Center, so it was a much bigger show, and they wanted someone to run the strength and conditioning portion of it. So they said, you know, they asked Sarah, and Sarah was director of operations, I believe, at the time. Yes. She said, Kale would be great. I agreed to it, and then she said, you can stay with me. Um, so that was my first experience at Paleo FX. Came out, stayed with her, and that was right when Alex was kind of entering the picture. Um, and their their interesting story of how yeah. that all came together. Yes. But yeah, I, I, you know, I met, I met Sarah in an online Paleo group. And we just became friends. That's great. You know, there's there's a lot of people in that group at the time, and then there's a few of us that branched off that really like kind of got it together and like bonded over that. And Sarah was always one of the people that I felt like an instant connection with, and um, that led to this whole thing. And then every year for Paleo Effects, I would come back and stay with them, and uh, then they slowly became my my spiritual teachers, guidance of all sorts. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. It, you know, it's fun to for me to you know because i get to see my students coming in in their infancy in many ways be it in their own maturity or in their professional development or in the beginning of a new career for a lot of them or transitioning out of one career and into another yeah and so when i get to see them grow and watch them get into all sorts of amazing things from owning their own resorts all over the world to starting new companies and food businesses and you know meat distribution and you know probably 
50, probably somewhere around 50 books have been written by my students at this point. I can't, I lost track of them, <laughs> yeah. but it's neat to be sitting here with, with you and, and, uh, you know, you're obviously a very successful man. And, and so to see them coaching people of your caliber is, is like an amazing thing for me because yeah, I get I can, to say yeah. my students are actually really successful. It's <laughs> pretty awesome. And I've, it's been super cool to see them grow too. And there, yes. and, and then have this place that's this yes. beautiful gym and sanctuary, you know, from yes. the, the house they were living into before and running yeah. a practice out of their back room yes. to this gorgeous facility. And yes. it's been great. Yes. And uh, Alex told me there was an angel involved. <laughs> Well, I've been, I, I, I don't know. It's weird. And immediately when I met Alex, we kind of, again, just clicked. And he's, he is, a, a, in his own way, strange, interesting dude. Yes, and, yes. and Sarah, I think Sarah had all these concerns, like, nobody's going to like Alex. He's very weird. He's kind of strange. I don't know. He's, he's going to fit in. And then right away, she was like, you get Alex, don't you? I was like, yeah, I love Alex. Like, we get along great. And then it, it just, we got closer and closer as the time went on. And then and the more I talked to him, the more I just fell in love with him yeah. and, and Sarah. You know. they're both so straight up like it's just totally what you see is what you get you don't ever have to worry about any double messaging it's nope. like this is how it is man yep. i love it i just wish more people in the world could be that way it would make it a lot easier place to be it would you know um when i met you we were together and we went out to lunch together and for those of you that can't see kale or may not know who kale schultz is he's a big guy how tall are you kale Probably like a little under six four. Okay, yeah, yeah you, but you're you're pretty muscular. Two hundred forty. Probably that time I might have been. I was I, I was close to two fifty for a while. Yeah, my, you were my pretty more serious workout. You're days. still big. You look yeah. <laughs> you look like a, a you know a professional football player that's you know in a lot better shape than most of the guys on the front line. <laughs> but maybe a, a real solid linebacker that can yeah. you know about linebacker size now. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, you've got the kind of energy and presence that Laird Hamilton does, and he's a long-term friend of mine. You know, well, who yeah, Hamilton's. I'm honored you'd even mention me in the same context. Yeah, as no, him. you guys have that sort of same. <laughs> you know, I call call Laird. He's he's like a giant oak tree. There's not much yeah. that's going to move him unless he wants to move. I, I I've never personally met him. I saw him once down down in Hermosa Beach, and uh, I I. I, I met his wife awkwardly one time at a at a, another training facility when I kind of barged in on. She was doing a, uh, a uh, some sort of women's workshop of yes. some sort, and they're neighbors of ours at oh. uh, where my training facility is. And I went over there to do something at their place, and she was teaching this. And I walk in, and I just had some gi pants on, no shirt, <laughs> and there's these women standing there in the lobby, and they look at me like I think you're in the wrong spot. <laughs> and I was like, I look up, and you know, she's what? She's six. six foot. She's but just I think yeah. Just, I think she's six two. Yeah, her and Laird are the same basic yeah. height. And they were super nice, of course. But oh, they yeah. look at me like, "Are you sure you're in the right spot?" And I was like, "Yeah, Natalie owns this place. She trains. I'm here with the. I'll be back." <laughs> <laughs> I just like walked out and then called Natalie. I was like, "Hey, I think I interrupted something." You but. know, you you would love Laird and Gabby. They're as real as it gets. Yeah, you know? I would. I would love to meet them. And yeah. I'm sure. Well, maybe one day it'll, I'll see if I can facilitate that for you. Tell me when you're in LA next, yeah. and I'll. And I've been a big. I've been using his superfood creamer since it came out. That sits in our our office shop. I don't like the crap they mostly sell in the stores. No, and then yeah. I found that one day, and it's great. Did you catch my podcast with Larry? I did. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a really good one. Yeah. which is cool because I've never actually heard him speak before, really. Right. You know? And uh, such a great guy. Yeah. No, he's a very deep guy. He's more than just an athlete. <laughs> 
so I when I met you and we went out to to lunch together and I I just had this amazing experience of just being in your energy field and, and seeing that inside of this very powerful big man there's a really soft central core like you don't you don't uh you know a lot of guys that are your your size and have that much muscle they're generally powered by anger but i didn't feel a lot of that in you have you have you come through that phase or um yeah and i mean i still i still do feel like i have a little bit of like a, a incredible hulk inside me sometimes <laughs> but i you know i used to that used to rule my life a lot more i was a lot more charged by that energy but i think as i'm i'm growing and learning that it's that takes way more energy it does, actually yeah. you know if just being nicer and kinder to people and helping people whenever you yeah. can number one it takes less energy to do and yeah. you get so much more energy that's in return exactly right yeah that it's like you know being angry all the time is tough yeah like, it's a tough thing and you don't sleep well and you're just yeah it's i don't like it anymore no and <laughs> I, know? I tell my my students and patients and clients love is a boomerang so whatever yeah. you're putting out that's what you attract back to you like attracts like and so at some point i think uh as we as men move through this warrior phase where we have to kind of kill everything and show yeah. everybody how strong we are and make ourselves feel safe that way we come to realize you know most of the most of the firefights are things that we predict might happen based on the pain that we've lived through but once we heal the pain and realize wow the world looks a lot different without all this pain weighing me down and yeah. sort of softens you up then i i find you you uh, keep yourself in great shape and, and do the things to really uh, have the richness of a full life as opposed to feeling like you have to, you know, fit a certain uh, image or ideal yeah. that, that maybe you expect of yourself or, or others expect of you. It, well, and that's been a long journey too. I mean, when I was younger, that, that was definitely it is that I just wanted to be jacked and tan and yeah. look awesome. And I think that was during the, the anger fueled days of I was a bouncer and yeah. I, you know, we'd go, we'd drink a lot and I had a bunch of other buddies I'd work out with and we we're all big meatheads and, you know, just trying to get chicks and, <laughs> eat jack and like, I mean, for a while, like I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, it is for a while, <laughs> but then I, I kind of looked at my life and was like, this isn't getting me anywhere. No. And, and in fact, it's probably, if anything, making things worse. And, you know, and when you're 25 and, you know, I can still go out and get drunk and then go to the gym the next day and not have, you know, I'm eating Little Caesars pizzas and <laughs> I'm still look great, yeah. you know, but when you start to get 30, <laughs> 35, like all of a sudden everything starts to hurt. You feel like crap and then you can't, you know, and, and then that was when kind of the stunt career came is yeah. not until my, you know, mid to late thirties. And so then I realized like, man, I really got to take care of myself. How old are you now? 41. So yeah, that's, well, you know, a man reaches his peak at age 42 that's the average for the average man is 42 because that's when you've lived long enough to have accumulated a significant amount of wisdom but you're still youthful enough to actually be able to do things in the world at about 42 we gain wisdom but we typically stop caring for ourselves well enough so our energy our vitality our flexibility our mobility our dynamic strength all start dropping yeah and you see that in men typically all over the place like i'm 59 and i see guys my age <laughs> so i'm like oh my god <laughs> you should have really studied my book how do you move me <laughs> yeah well i mean and i think it's getting worse i mean i see now 30 year olds that I'm yes like, you're you're in a world of hurt buddy like yeah. if this is what you're like now and i you know i hope that 
you know, and some people I feel, you know, they don't ever see that as important. That's probably the hardest part is realizing like that if you do want to live a long, healthy life, you got to take care of yourselves in all those aspects. Yes. You know, you're yeah. like, well, I got a great job and, uh, you know, I, I got a wife and kids and it's like, yeah, but you also need to be healthy and yeah. happy and yes. And you, or <laughs> you, you don't want to spend all your money for vacations and education on doctors and surgeries and pills. And, you know, I tell people that come to me, which is a lot of them, I'm like, they, they think, oh, well, you know, my insurance pays for it. They think like their, their health challenges are not a big deal because somebody else is paying for them. And I say, well, I'm just curious. If I wanted to buy an hour of your time as a consultant, how much would it cost? Well, it could range between, you know, 50 and $50,000 of the people that I work with for an hour. And uh, I say, okay, well, how many hours have you spent in the doctor's office since this whole problem or series of problems began? And a lot of times they'll just say countless hours. Like, okay, good. How many times <laughs> did you spend standing at a drugstore waiting for pain management pills or some kind of drug for your problems, your neck, your pain, your digestion, your, your you know, gastrointestinal reflux? Oh, my God. A lot of hours. I say, okay, good. Start adding it up. And you might find that the investment in seeing me uh, would have been a good investment a long time ago, except here we are now. So let's get on the program before you yeah. end up spending your whole life savings. And interestingly, research shows that about 50% of people in hospitals spend their life savings in the last five days of their life due to all the tests and procedures Ooh. doctors try to run on them in attempt to keep them alive for the family, or some would say to sell them while they're vulnerable. Uh, I think both can be true. But when you realize 50% of people in hospitals spend their life savings in the last five days, it really can behoove you to make sure that those last five days don't come out of negligence and you're yeah. there because it's really just time to go or you just die in your bed because you've had enough and you're <laughs> yeah. done and you yeah. just don't wake up. I think that's my dream is to die, just go to sleep and say, okay, I'm done. <laughs> that, that'd be a pretty good way to go. Yeah, I think yeah. it's I think it's doable. And, I, and I've I've came to that realization too that because um, I mean a, a lot of things are expect like to stay healthy and happy like yeah. that costs money a lot of times. It does, yeah. But I stopped looking at those costs as costs as really as costs. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I don't when I go shopping for food a lot. You know, yeah. if it's a really great organic whatever, you know, so I don't might not look at the price. You know, and I feel very fortunate to have that luxury that yes. I've been successful enough because, you know, a lot of people just, they got to feed a family of five. Yeah. Like, you don't, you have to look at the prices. You have yeah. to budget. Luckily, and you know, in my life at this point, like if I think it's something that's genuinely going to improve my health or yeah. make my time here easier and better and happier, yeah. then I'm like, I don't care what the cost is. Did you know that research shows that Americans are spending $4 billion a year on cold and flu medicine? That's 4,000 times a million dollars. That's a lot of money every day on cold and flu medicines when really there's a better way. Organifi Gold is an all-natural organic superfood tea with superfoods known to boost immunity through better rest and sleeping. Relax easier and increase immunity with all-natural superfoods. Deeper sleep and a more relaxed state of mind are vital ingredients to optimizing one's immunity. My kids don't like to fall asleep because they don't want to miss out on anything, and that can make for some grumpy kids, but they both love Organifi Gold, so we all get excited when they request it at night, and it works. 
If you'd like a great-tasting, naturally sweet drink that can really relax and nourish you, then you will love Organifi Gold. I sure do. Organifi Gold contains the following organic products. Turmeric, ginger, reishi mushroom, lemon balm, turkey tail mushroom, magnesium, black pepper, piperine, coconut milk, and Ceylon cinnamon. I love Organifi Gold. My family and friends and clients love it too. And if you're ready to get great sleep and awaken feeling strong and ready for your day, with the beauty that only sleep can give, then Organifi Gold is not only for you, but it's a great way to make sure you're getting a deep enough rest to recharge your immune system. And we all know the importance of that today. Go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and on checkout, use the code, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20, that's check 20, to get your Living 4D 20% discount off Organifi Gold and any Organifi product that you'd like to enjoy. I love Organifi, and I know you will too. You know, the thing too is, as I tell people, look, the government, we don't have a government anymore. We have a corporate headquarters. What we call a government is really just a bunch of large corporations fighting over who's going to get to brainwash us the most to <laughs> yeah. spend money on their shit. So if, if we want to change the way the world is, then the only way we can do it is to vote with our dollars, and that's what we do when we purchase stuff. Yeah. If nobody buys stuff from companies that are ruining the planet, then they have to retool and figure out how to way do, do we sell something that they'll buy. I, I used to say this you know, years ago when I was <clears throat> lecturing all over the world in, in the exercise industry, uh, strength training, powerlifting, all that kind of stuff. I would tell them, look, nobody's going to make functional exercise equipment until you stop buying the junk and asking them to make something that's functional, right? Yeah. So you'll just be doing leg presses and knee extensions and hamstring curls, and you'll keep coming back to me with all your injuries, and I'll tell you it's because the brain does not fire that way, the nervous system doesn't fire that way, you're actually training the body to do something that it that's far too simple for even walking and getting on and off a toilet. So, you know... The same point is true. If we stop buying chemicals uh, from corporations that are poisoning the environment, like instead of getting raid, we get something that's made from organic substances and is earth-friendly and child-friendly, and we stop uh, buying commercially raised food, which then puts means there's less money going into the hands of the people that are poisoning the planet with agrochemicals and all that kind of stuff. The, the point is, is we actually vote with our dollars. So when I'm buying things that are an aid to a healthy life, I love putting them in the hands of companies that are actually spending their money to make things that not only enhance our life, but yeah. their earth-friendly practices. So our money really becomes an investment in the healing of the whole planet instead of some kind of instant gratification. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I try to do my best or, you know, there are things I could do better at for sure. Like we all could, but. Yeah, well, you know, it's it always that tightrope. Yeah, And if you're not careful, you can fall into this constant battle with the superego, the constant judging of, oh, you know, I should have, I shouldn't have used that piece of paper, or I should have used a rag, or, you know, you can get to the point where it actually becomes stressful to be holistic. And so I always tell people, look, just do what love would do. And if it's too stressful for you to be more loving than, than, than you can be, then you're adding stress to the environment, not love. And, you know, the analogy I t tell my students is, look, if I'm standing on top of a bridge with you that goes over a river, 
and you see a bunch of McDonald's bags and Coke cans float by, do you freak out, jump in and rescue them and put them in a garbage can? Or do you feel sad that some idiot is throwing garbage in the river and polluting the environment? Well, most of us wouldn't jump off the bridge. Now, a lot of us would pick up a can or a plastic bag if we knew there was a garbage can within 400 meters or a half a mile, but most people will just ignore it. So the point being is we each get to decide what our level of contribution is before we actually start creating more stress than it's worth to contribute. And that's kind of the, the dance of the mind right there. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm curious... Give us a little, uh, take us on a journey of, of how you grew and developed into, you know, as you were telling me earlier, you don't just do stunt work, you do a lot of different things, but you're deep inside, you know, a, an industry that many fantasize about being in, and you've obviously created a niche for yourself. I mean, obviously your body is one of your tools because you're a very big, strong, good-looking man, so it certainly it's going to open the door to certain types of rules like you'd be perfect in a viking movie if i was going to cast a bunch of vikings you'd if, be if in only it. they'd shoot them over here they always want to shoot them in europe of oh course. yeah so hopefully <laughs> hopefully we'll get another we might on the dl we might get another crack at the highlander series and oh yes that, that would be perfect if that happens then i will play a viking i don't care what it takes <laughs> yes yes because you're 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 kind of like a conan viking yeah. type man um I don't know. Did you get a chance to listen to my podcast with Kedrich Olson on the Vi- Vikings? Yes, I did actually. On and runes. Yeah, and the rune. Okay, the runes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really cool. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Wasn't it amazing how deep the Vikings' philosophy yeah. and spirituality and their way they the way their society was balanced between the men and the women? Yeah, because you ha- and and I learned so much about it because you just have a picture of a Viking who's just this rage warrior who's yes. just raping and pillaging and yeah. and then you're like nah they're mostly farmers you know and if they had to they'd go rob the neighbors but yeah you know, it wasn't and we, some, like we all do yeah you know <laughs> at some point and i'm sure i'm sure some found more joy in that than others yes, of course, of course other, yeah. other species. there's always there's always testosterone yeah. laden young men yeah, in every group for sure and it was a different time back then but yeah it, it wasn't just this warrior nation it was like a very educated very, yes you know well-dressed the, highly yeah, groomed the way the stuff they knew about building boats yes i mean just phenomenal and you know the the fun part for me was is is you know and i i asked kedrich i said you know the the there's a, a philosophy or a belief out there that the vikings raped and pillaged all these villages but they always took the best looking women and kept them to have their children <laughs> and so you know, the, the sort of the concept is the Vikings just went in and just stole the women they want, like it or not. But he said, oh, no, that wasn't true. He said, what, what these guys were bathing sometimes three or four times a day, combing their hair, wearing yeah. silk clothing, <laughs> wearing, you know, nice smelly essences. Yep. And he said, the women just flocked to them. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm sure if you guys could see Kale right now, if you yeah. saw like six of these guys <laughs> taking a <laughs> taking bath the at the silk lake, robe, like, it wouldn't take but 10 <laughs> seconds and there'd be f- every guy's wife would be over there ready to jump <laughs> ship. <laughs> it would cause a war. Oh my God, so funny. Humans are funny, aren't they? They're awesome. Like, <laughs> I, that's like, honestly, like people watching is one of my favorite hobbies. Like I'll go down to Hermosa Beach and just sit on the pier and, yeah. you know, I make up little stories of people walking by and just <laughs> try not to judge too much. No. But I just, like, I could sit here all day and just look at the different people that are coming through there and I, I love it, you know. I, I look at all aspects of human beings and, 
what they do and how they act for better or worse. And, and the only thought that repeatedly echoes in my mind is God has one hell of a good sense of humor. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. God's willing to try anything. Yep. <laughs> you want to be obese and sick. God says, yes, let's give it a go. You yeah. want to be Michael Jackson or Prince or Donald Trump. God yep. forbid. God says, yes, let's yeah. do it. We need one of those. We need one we gotta, of Let's those. try it. Let's see how it works out. <laughs> then he's up there going, oh. well. One time I was in a deep meditation and I, I get these questions for God a lot. And so I sit and meditate and go into converse. My soul, you know, soul is God within. So I just ask my soul, connect me to the wholeness of all that is so I can ask a few questions and please mediate. So... When I said, I was thinking about, you know, all the unhealthy people in the world and all the ways people you know, get addicted and just, you know, really make their lives very challenging for better or worse. And, you know, you hear so many stories like Tina Turner, Michael Jackson, and, and I've studied the biographies of just count, you know, over 150 of the greatest thinkers in the world. And almost all of them had these really tough lives and Picasso and Einstein and and all these people. And so I said, to God in the stillness of my inner self, I said, God, why do you keep trying to destroy yourself? And a moment went by and the answer came back, I can't. And it really, really hit me. That's why, you know, what God was saying is, it's impossible, I can't die. What you think of as death is your own illusion. But it just makes the show more interesting. But the reality of it is I'm willing to try anything because, quite frankly, I cannot die. So that's why I have all this fun. It makes sense. It does. I'm like, you know, that was not the answer I expected, but it sure is a good one. <laughs> take, us, take us on the journey, though. How does... How does um, I'd love to hear the hero's journey. What are, what, are, how, what are the formative forces? What were the influences that led you to being a stuntman, being in the movie industry, and what were, you know, the sort of the hero's journey. The hero's journey, are you familiar with the hero's journey archetype yeah. model? Yeah. So there's I three. mean, it's present in a lot of movies, you know. Of course it's, it it's, is. That's, that's basically what every movie's about. If it's it, not, then the movie <laughs> won't make any money. Yeah. I've studied it. Um, so the three th- key phases are the, uh, the ordeal. Something happens that says, okay, that's enough. I've got to go do something or be somebody different or get the hell out of here. I can't take this anymore. Um, no, the departure, that's the departure. Then there's the ordeal, which usually comes with meeting a master, some kind of challenge that you have to overcome in order to become the person that you're here to be. And then the return. Okay, now that I've had the challenge, I've been through the ordeal, I know how the world works. I've got, this is what I have to bring back to the people because I can see a lot of people suffering from the same ignorance that I once had or the same challenge, etc. So, how tell us about the departure? What were some of the ordeals, and 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 are you? Uh, you're already returning because just the conversation we're having right now is the return, right? Yeah. Your observations of yeah. health and life. And yeah, I guess I've never thought about my own hero's journey before. Well, that's my no. job is to yeah. get you to do that. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. Um, I mean, briefly, like I never, I honestly never thought of a film um, film career in any way. I I went. Uh, to college for electrical engineering, got my engineering degree. Um, that was kind of my plan. Was and it was based on you know I saw my parents. They were they're still married. Uh, all, I had a 
phenomenal childhood you know and no real complaints and we weren't perfect but just enough where yeah. we had everything we not everything we wanted but everything we needed two very loving parents in their own ways and i and i had a sibling my sister monica who was she's gone through her own journey that's way more stressful and tough than mine ever was um, well, blessings to her yeah and she now is this you know she she's a single mom with two kids and she is like i call her the mother rhino because yeah. like <laughs> she has built herself into this phenomenally powerful being that's um, great but still has an amazingly soft side which mm -hmm. you know and me being her brother i i feel bad sometimes i i do i know how to get under her skin and i, <laughs> and, I and i do it and i get now i at least now i i say to myself that was not a nice thing to do and <laughs> i apologize to her and you know we have a great relationship now which is which is awesome but um so I, I always thought I was going to have the house and the white picket fence and the kids and the minivan and yeah. all, like, that's where I thought I was going. And I guess the departure was after, um, college, I ended up, I went to college at Penn state. I moved back to Michigan and I was living with some friends and that was kind of right when the first housing market kind of crashed this, um, and things started in Michigan, at least started to kind of take a downturn. The crash hadn't happened yet, but you could tell things weren't as good. And, and I couldn't get a job out of college, which I, mm. I feel like my, that year was one of the first few that everybody else I knew, all the other engineers I knew that graduated the year before they had multiple job offers right when they graduated. Wow. And I didn't have any, and it, you know, my grades probably could a little bit better, but you know, I, I had an electrical engineering degree from Penn State. I thought I'd have multiple job offers. I almost ended up in the Marines because they were hiring. Why? Well, yes, <laughs> you know, they were always hiring. Officers training program, forty thousand dollars signing bonus. Yeah. Like it sounded great. And then I talked to a few people about it, and they're like, "I don't know if that's really for you." <laughs> uh, I mean, I probably would have done okay, but um, probably. But you'd have got tired of being told what to do by people that yeah. aren't very intelligent. So I was kind of lost for a while, and then I found my way into this environmental consulting job, which was. I learned a ton, but it was basically hazardous waste testing and removal, oh, yeah. asbestos, lead, mold. Mm -hmm. And we were going into schools in Detroit and testing and removing it. You know, it, it did at the end of the day, it was an honest job and I'm removing asbestos from schools, you know, mm -hmm. making a better place. Um, but then I ended up kind of in a sales job career after that, um, uh, doing heating and cooling work. So all the time I had, was learning a lot of, um, trade stuff, trade skills tech yeah. stuff. i always like building with my hands you know mm -hmm. my my grandfather was hugely influential in my life and he was a tool and die guy farmer farmed until he was like 70 had cows you know mm. so i still really liked working with my hands mm -hmm. even though i was you know i was pretty intelligent kid and quite well educated but yeah um never really went on the electrical engineering path because after that four years of college i realized i didn't really like that at all like that yeah. it was just way too much and i knew i'd be in a cubicle yeah. doing that kind of stuff and i i just so you know i i know exactly what you're talking about because um when i was in the military my training was in the repair of weapon systems on cobra helicopters and i did uh, just under a year in electronics school eight hours a day and I found myself, I, you know, I worked my ass off, got really good grades. But by the time I got to the <coughs> unit, I'm, I'm like, I can't just undo access panels with screwdrivers and hook up computers to analyze equipment. It's kind of like being a bench technician or something. And I just, the, the, the spirit in me was dying. I was gaining weight and I just felt lousy. And I'm like, you know, and what in the military, everything's done by rank. So I came into the military as a guy that built his own race cars and roll cages and engines and had a deep knowledge of, you know, mechanics and all the kind of basic sciences, but found myself doing this very mundane 
stuff where it wasn't really stimulating to me and challenging me to grow. So that's, that's when I activated plan B and said, okay, I got to have to fight my way out of this. I got to get on the boxing team so that I can at least exercise every day and then do whatever I want to do when I'm not boxing. So I, I'm hip to what it feels like when you realize, you know, someone with a lot of um, spirit in them that wants to move and, and, and express themselves physically can get very trapped in an environment like yeah. that. And I never, I think I was suppressing that spirit greatly thinking <laughs> I was, I needed to be on this path to in my, my quote unquote normalcy where I, I have the house and the white picket fence. Like that's where I, the only way I could go. Yeah. And I was going to live in Michigan my whole life and just that's the person I was going to be. And um, it took, and then in 2008, which I think was when the actual crash happened, the first yes. big one. Yes. That I have time, painful memories of that. <laughs> you know, I, my job kind of washed up and I kind of got laid off and um, for about a year, I mean, I was in a serious depression of, I was collecting unemployment. I was wow. playing Xbox a lot, Jeez. golfing all day. And then I had a job as a bouncer at a bar. So I'm going to the bar four nights a week and drinking and bouncing and yeah. then playing Xbox all day. And uh, it was like a solid year of that where, and, and I didn't realize at the time being the person that I am and I'm strong and I'm independent and I'm smart. Like I'm not depressed. I'm not, you know, I'm mm. fine. No, I was in a shit spot and I just didn't want to admit it. Yeah. Um, and you know, my, my significant other at the time, you know, she, she did her best to help me, but, um, I don't think she knew how to fight that battle with me because I'm mm. a pretty strong independent person who will just shut people out. And I don't need your help. I don't need therapy. I don't need to talk to anybody. I'm, yeah. I'm fine, you know? Yeah. And that was, um, so about a year of that. And then, uh, my, my cousin Kelly was shooting a movie in Michigan and she called me and said, Hey, would you want to work on this movie? And I, you know, I was like, sure. What do I got to do? She's like, well, you're going to be a PA, which is production assistant, which is kind of the about the lowest job you can have on a movie. Like here, <laughs> you just walk, and people just yell things at you, and they go, "Go get coffee, go wipe that guy's butt, go whatever." You, I can just imagine you wiping yeah, somebody's butt. Yeah. First and, of all, how would you get into the job? <laughs> yeah, and look, I mean, I was there with Kelly, who's my cousin. She was a producer, so I got a little better treatment than most of the PAs, I think, yeah. knowing that she's my cousin. But I kind of got on a movie set, and you know, in downtown Detroit, and it was. It was like kind of eye-opening and like, wow, there's a whole other world here. It's And I don't know if you've ever been on sets before, like um, big productions. Only a couple. My my father, my stepfather was a special effects man for Universal Studios. Yeah, I remember you saying that. And um, so I've been to Hollywood when I was a kid and, and been at sets, but I was probably only seven, seven years old. Yeah. So I don't really have a real vivid memory of it. Yeah. And I have been around uh, a couple of shoots, but not like you would have been around just passing by. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There is a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable, and I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their Essential C Complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your Essential C Complex. 
Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe acerola cherry and camu camu and omla berry. And then I just packed them into capsules. And the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. So to get access to this complex, all you have to do is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code CHECK15 at checkout. That's lowercase C-H-E-K 15 and you can save 15% off. For me, it was very, I mean, inspiring to see, you know, there's maybe a hundred people there and they've all got their own jobs and they're all moving in this rhythmic intertwining motion and somehow you know you spend three plus months 12 hours a day and you end up with what two hours of footage you know you're literally shooting like minutes of footage per day yeah and you're kind of wondering like is this all worth it hundreds of millions of dollars like these people and then all this for a movie but then you see that movie and it it can truly be inspiring because there's a lot of terrible movies too but and you go and for me i saw it as a very high level of art it is and, a high level of yeah art. you know very high um, level and i was kind of like i don't know what my role is in this big picture but i like this yeah i would like to figure out how to be a part of this and but i, I worked on that i was only supposed to work on it for a week she was just like let's just come out for a week i'll hire you whatever well then they end up keeping me for six weeks oh great um, they're like kale's awesome keep them around and of course we're shooting night shoots in michigan in the winter time it was not exactly a fun, what I would call a fun job. And yeah. being a PA where, you know, you literally just do whatever people tell you. And I was working, yeah, at least 12 hours a day, sometimes seven days a week. But I was like, I still really like this. And then about a year later, I still hadn't found real steady work. And I was going to move to Arizona and help my buddy who managed a gym there, you know, like whatever. My old friend from high school, another meathead, great friend of mine though. And I was like, fine, I got to make a change. I knew I had to make a change. Well, then I spent a summer with a friend of mine, Rita, who lived in New Orleans, and um, she had actually, I'd helped her move down there, and then she hired me to do a bunch of odd jobs, and she was, she's very, she's Catholic, um, but like Southern New Orleans Catholic, uh-huh. but also I was very spiritually inclined, and she, she started, you know, kind of just poking at me a little bit, like, maybe you should listen to the universe type of thing. Yes. And, you know, she told me that story. Of, I'm like, well, I don't think the universe is talking to me, you know? And then she told me this story about, and it's, it's probably an old fable about there's a flood. And so the guy goes up on his roof. Yes. And the, Christian guy. Yeah. And then the, a guy in a canoe comes by and yeah. he goes, no, don't worry. God's going to save me. And then uh, he prays to God, please save me. And then a guy in a motorboat comes by and he goes, no, I don't need your help. God's going to save me. Yeah. And then the helicopter comes by and he's still praying the whole time. Please, God, save me, save me. Yeah. But finally he gets... He dies, he goes, meets God, and God, and he goes, God, why didn't you save me? He's like, you dumbass, I sent you a canoe, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter. (laughs) So I started, that was one of the first things that clicked in my head was like, all right, maybe I need to start listening and looking at signs and things that are pointing me in the directions I really need to go. And it wasn't, you know, maybe a week after that, my cousin Kelly had called me back and she goes, hey, these two guys that I manage live in California. They run a training facility. They're stuntmen, stunt coordinators, but they're going to blow up. They're going to be huge directors. Trust me. And I was like, you're crazy. I'm not going to move to California. Like, that's ridiculous. Start a movie career. Like, no, no, no. And she said, she's like, no, you need to listen to me. This is an opportunity that I, you should not pass up. 
And I kind of thought about it for quite a while. And then I said, screw it. I'm going to California. Sold all my shit that couldn't fit in my car. Drove to Cal, helped, helped a buddy move to Florida, then drove to California, which is the worst drive, by the way. If you, if you drive from Gainesville, Florida to Los Angeles, it's one road. You get on the 10 and you never leave it. It's a long <laughs> for, drive. For like 32 hours, you're yeah. on the same road. I wouldn't recommend that drive. Um, and then I got there. And uh, so I guess that was a departure. It was There you know, it is. There I am, getting there. And then I get there and I, I was just overwhelmed of like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. But luckily I had family now that, and my cousin that I was telling you about that now lives here in Austin, she took me in. She lived there and said, you can live with us as long as you need to. And I just started working for, uh, you know, my boss, David Leach and his business partner, Chad Stahelski, who are both pretty big action directors now, um, just doing whatever. They had a training facility. Um, they kind of both needed personal assistance to manage their stuff. So I just started doing whatever I can, learning whatever I can just to help them out. And then just as it progressed, the business grew, you know, now I'm running this training facility full-time for stuntmen, actors. Um, and we started, we do some rigging in there, which is like the wire work and stuff. And so they're like, kill, you need to figure this out. We need to get some rigging. We need to do this. And so kind of had to learn that. Um, and then, you know, then they're doing shooting choreography bits. And so they tell me, okay, we need a big guy, get out here. You know, and I, I come out of my office, I close my email and I come out there and I, you know, I can't even throw a punch. You know? <laughs> and they're like, okay, Kale, get get the fuck out of here and <laughs> go learn some some martial arts of some sort and come back to us because you're useless you know so i i took about six months of kickboxing from a, a pretty awesome guy tony messenger got me just good enough to kick and punch and then started learning how to fall you know falling is a big part of it so yeah. started t learning a little judo um and then i just started just wherever i could make myself useful that's really what my whole career revolved around was just being useful to anybody and everybody that i could find like yeah. you know and then just became this thing where it'd be like oh uh, i need this and they'd be like oh, I, just call kale kale will help you out he'll figure it out he'll, he'll figure it out so <laughs> i'd be getting calls from all kinds of different coordinators i need help with this do you know a guy that does this you know this and and then david and chad where wherever they needed help i just put myself there and um, just started learning the business, started learning the stunt career. And then they, they started finally, once I got good enough hiring me on jobs to play, you know, the bouncer, the bad guy, whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, I still don't, e even now I find it weird to call myself a stunt man or stunt performer because I look at some of our team members who are legitimate badass ninjas you yeah. know like they're falling off of buildings they're hit by cars they can do double backflips been doing martial arts since they could walk you know um and then my mind those are the real stunt performers you know and i'm just the big guy who gets smashed through the walls but they need that too so i, yeah. I found i found my niche i found my spot yeah. plugged myself in wherever i could and then um that's where it's gone from there and now that david and chad have both directed huge movies you know chad did the whole john wick series dave has now done you know atomic blonde deadpool 2 hobbs and shaw um, about to do another one soon you know they have their own production companies now so now i'm kind of learning the production company side of things yeah. and now is where i can kind of i think the return is start to, to give back and and plug myself back into the higher end of movie making and hopefully build more in that um Great. So. That's what an exciting journey. What, what are what are some of the ordeals that you had to deal with to get to where you're at right now? Um, I mean, a lot of it was learning how to survive in a world. And I had a great mentor when I moved out there named Logan Hood, um, Navy SEAL. What well, was ex-Navy SEAL? I don't know if you're ever ex-Navy SEAL, but he he had got out of the SEALs, but now he re-enlisted and he's back in. But he was the trainer at 8711, you know, the, the personal trainer there. And um, he trained all the guys for 300 and that kind of thing. 
And he really had a good, I think, grasp on how to survive in Hollywood and not become a total asshole, right. maybe, yeah. <laughs> in a short version. And so he did a great job of mentoring me. Because I was like, very quickly, you know, I'm meeting these celebrities. I'm out of, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm sitting in a dinner, you know, with Keanu Reeves. And, and I'm thinking to myself, and it starts to get in your head a little bit. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm this big shot. I'm important. And then he'd be like, you're a nobody, man. Trust me. Like, you don't. <laughs> and even like... Keanu Reeves is barely a somebody compared to the higher ups and the higher yeah, ups, you know, yeah. it's like, um, and so he really kept my head straight and, um, he was actually the one that turned me on to a, a better style of, of diet and training. Good. Um, he gave me actually Gary Tobb's book, good calories, bad calories, mm. more of just, uh, exploration. And can you actually get through this freaking book? Because it's awful to read. Like it's a, <laughs> it's like a, it's a giant thick book and it's not exciting. It's, yeah. um, and I, I got all the way through and I was like, wow, I was really happy. But then he gave me some more interesting books to read about basically diet, you know, yeah. and that's what took me down the paleo path uh, for the most part. But he was very instrumental in like, and I'd say that that was the biggest ordeal was like trying to stay grounded, but also do big enough things. You yeah. Know? Like you got to fight that. And I see a lot of people lose it where all of a sudden they're too, too important too cool for school won't return a phone call now that they made it big and uh, i never wanted to be like that and i, I you I, haven't become that kind of person you know i felt that a few times like and i've turned down jobs you know that yeah. i'm like ah, i don't want to do that and then i'm like what am i doing man like you know um so and then my one my boss david shot a short film and uh it kind of is his own calling card type of thing and i really didn't know much about production side of things yet like how to put together a film how to do all that and he kind of handed me a script and goes, look, I'm going to need you to like do everything for this. I don't have the time. He was directing another movie. And I was like, I don't know anything about this. He goes, well, we'll figure it out. And <laughs> You've done it before. <laughs> yeah. He's like, figure it out. So like, I just, th you know, that was a huge thing for me to go through and see and just be like, if you, and if you look at the short film credits on that, you know, I, I got like a associate producer credit, but also like catering, uh, <laughs> all this, like just my name is in there like 19 times, you know? <laughs> Because I just you're had very important. Yeah, you I have, just you're the spider weaving the web at yeah, that point. You know, and then um, I think martial arts has been a big you know journey for me and and getting getting over the hump of like when you first I never was interested in martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, I never really cared for it. And then you know my other my boss Chad Sahilski kind of he he found a way to impress upon me that that was very necessary, and I did start to delve more into the philosophy of it and i do like training you know i like being uncomfortable i don't know if i like being uncomfortable but i i need to do that you know for myself and so um i started taking judo with him mm. and that was a very you know when you you don't take up a judo career at 35 years old that's very hard on you. <laughs> <laughs> you know and every day like i was just i'd wake up and just everything hurt i yeah. thought i was gonna die but like you rally you train you know yeah. and i'm sure there were better ways to approach that but you know he was also old school martial artist that like yeah. you just you punch the wall until it stops hurting your hand, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, and then I kind of fell in love with jujitsu. Um, and that's been a whole nother spiritual journey and learning the ins and outs and that. And um, so, I mean, there's been multiple, just, I guess, literal ordeals along the way of just things I had to go through. And then you, you get on a movie set and you're working. Now you're working, like I said, you know, sometimes seven days a week, 12 hours a day, you're getting zero sleep. You're staying out of a hotel. Like, and for some people aren't cut out for that. No. Um, and I'm not even, I don't think that's a very healthy way to live <laughs> regardless, no. even if you can get through it, you know, that's the thing. Um, how do you, how do you deal with 
eating real food and stuff when a situation like that? Uh, it's it's a balancing act, and that's why you know I would love to clean out my diet totally and only eat perfect. But I know when I go on the road, I'm gonna have to consume some things that I don't want to. So I I still I guess um, I don't we call it hormesis or whatever, but like try to keep a little bit of that in my system. You know, like every once in a while, I'll have some bread. You know, because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really have gluten issues. You know, over huge ones, anyways. Every once in a while, I'll have a little milk. You know, a little dairy. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll eat a, a candy bar. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, just so I know it's not going to kill me. You a know? buddy of mine uh, called that the cockroach principle. <laughs> he said you have to eat just enough poison yep. to keep yourself tough enough to endure the environment. And uh, yeah. you know, though I do understand it, I just have a body that's so sensitive to that stuff and i'm so used to being finely tuned that you know i can eat even i can't eat with gluten because it just messed me up royally but if i even eat a couple of gluten-free cookies it's going to cost me for about three days of itching and feeling very uncomfortable and foggy headed i I always i always thought too that was like a double-edged sword like i Sometimes I wish I had those sensitivities so that I could actually just make myself never eat a bad yeah. thing again. But then again, I'm also feel very blessed that I don't have those sensitivities. Yeah, no, so I, it's like, yeah. it's like, I don't, it's a balancing act. And, um, yeah. but a lot of times like I'm, you know, I'm the guy that's packed a cooler and I've got my food there because sometimes it, sometimes the catering's pretty good. You know, they just have some, some chicken or some beef that's relatively i guess call it unfucked around with yeah um, as far as it could go and i'm okay with that and then they have some steamed vegetables yeah and um i i bring my own uh, protein bars there's a company called marigold bars that makes these awesome protein bars mm-hmm. have been been giving me i've been supporting them and they've been supporting me for years now and um they're probably the cleanest protein but i hate to do a little promo for them that's but good I, I love them like and the and the lady that uh created them they they're here in texas and wow. they, they built this family and they they hired all these women that didn't have jobs doing other things like it's just been a great story and i love their bars so those i always travel with and she's great she'll send them i'll tell them i'm going to be in san fran for two weeks here's the address and just send me a case of those and so that way i always have no i have something to eat that i know is good for me yeah that's that's the thing a lot of the guys though they you know they don't they don't want to prep like i do you know but i yeah i take it seriously enough so i'll go to there's a whole foods or a trader joe's around i'll go and buy the food i need keep it in the fridge and prepare my meals and i eat in my hotel room a lot yeah but every night they're like let's go to dinner let's go to this i'm like i don't think so like i'm you know yeah i've, I've got some grass-fed beef that i prepared and yeah. i'm gonna eat that and so plus you probably want some time just to be quiet with yourself wouldn't you yeah and like i still always i, I prioritize working out yeah um, that's the thing that i think Number one, it, it it keeps me grounded, but always seems to reset my clock. Yeah. Like when I'm traveling somewhere, and you know, it, there's a time change. Yeah, my body knows that like I'm gonna work out, I'm gonna eat, and then I'm gonna go to sleep. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so no matter what time of day it is, like if I plan my workout correctly, my body starts to realize like, okay, yeah, here's our new time schedule. Yes, and my circadian rhythms seem to adjust a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you know, those guys, as soon as they wrap, they want, okay, let's go out to this dinner and have some drinks. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go back to the hotel. I'm going to work out. I'm going to make my dinner and I'm going to go to bed. And that's probably, you know, 28 out of the 30 days of a month I do that. And then, you know, I, I still like to go out and have some fun every once in a while, especially if you're in a cool new city. Um, but everything in moderation and, you know, I'll probably pay for that for a day. <laughs> you know, the so, thing too, is if you do it, what you're doing, then the 12 hours uh, isn't nearly as long as the 12 hours. I'm sure you're in good enough shape and health that if you had to go eat chicken McNuggets and standard 
<laughs> crap yeah. like Donald Trump feeds our American <laughs> football players. Oh my God. You'd probably find that you're, within a, a week or so, you're just whole, your whole reality would start shifting and it would just, you'd feel more tired and more yeah. bogged down and mentally more tired and wouldn't sleep as good. It would be like a spin down effect. Yeah. I, I noticed that pretty quickly. Like I, I can go about my, I got about three days yeah. of not paying attention to mm. myself and then I'll really start to feel it. And then I go, okay, it's time to get my shit straight. Yeah. Um, and it, it's that three days used to be maybe a week when I was 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. as I get older now, like, you know, if I don't get at least, I'm pretty good about seven hours of sleep a night, but you get less than that. And I yeah. start to, a couple of days of that in a row. And, you know, there've been, we've worked some 24 hour shifts before yeah. and, you know, that'll, that just messes you up for it's days. Bad, yeah. And uh, I'm sure from your military experience, like <laughs> oh, you yeah. just, you don't know what day it is up from down no. and you're just, you're a mess. Um, and a lot of guys I know will, they're, they're working 24 hours, but 12 work and 12 play, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they're, they're a mess. And I go, you guys, man, you got to, and then you get an injury, you know, and then yeah. you fall down the next day and you, your knee hurts. And I'm like, you guys got to take care of yourself. So I've, I've tried my best to kind of push that on the guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's another guy named Son who has kind of become our, I call him our fixer, but he's a um, physical therapist, bodywork guy who mm -hmm. I've now started to kind of insist that he comes on the movie with us. You know, and mostly it takes, what I got to get is one of the main actors to go, I like this guy. He's yes. helped my knee. And then he gets to come with us. Then he gets to work on me for free. He, won't, he ever charges me because I get him all these jobs. And then he'll, you know, charge the stunt guys a lower rate, but... I mean, I've, I found a huge benefit in that of, of that kind of physical therapy. Yeah. And when, when something's wrong, instead of just going, ah, rub some dirt on it, take some ibuprofen, yeah. you know, let's figure out what's wrong. Absolutely. You know, and I'll let him poke around or do his thing. And I'm, I, he may have taken check level one at some point, long time ago. He's a genius. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and he's kind of all, I don't I wouldn't call it self-taught, but just mentored under the people. Like he does the cupping now and acupuncture mm, and good, body yeah. work. Um, and he's just great. You know, he just understands the body. And, yeah. um, so That's, now a lot of the stunt guys are starting to see him on a regular basis. Yeah. I know like, Hey, his son around, like I need this. And then, um, on John Wick three, you know, Halle Berry had a bit of an injury and I hooked her up with son. And then she said, okay, son's coming to Morocco with us. No questions about it. You good. know? Um, and he helped on, uh, birds of prey. Margot Robbie had a couple health issues physically and she really latched onto him. And so he was on set all the time, but it's great. Cause he'll be there, you know, out with the main actor, actress. And I'll be like, Hey son, come over. My neck is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> and he walks over to the side and he real quick, you know, stretches me out and gets me back in the game. And it's, so I, that's pretty cool too. It's the pit crew. Yeah. Which, and cause stunt guys, we don't, they don't take care of themselves, you know, like pro athletes, you know, you look at their, and son used to work for the LA Clippers. So he's telling me, you know, they, every, after every game, they've got people working on them. They've got their diets planned, you know, yeah. they've taken them back to the hotel and they're making sure they do this and that. And, um, you know, they get to fly first class and they oh, got yeah. these electrolyte drinks and all this stuff, you know, stunt guys, we're just on our own. Yeah. You know, it's up to you to do whatever you want. So if, you know, you get hit by a car that day and you, you know, you're all scraped up and your shoulder hurts, like there's no therapy guy for you. There's no, it's Tough like. Tough road. Because those injuries, if they're not rehabilitated properly, start causing complex issues, compensation patterns throughout the body. And you can get to the point where you're hurting from head to toe and there is no longer a uh, a single place to address the issue because, you know, when, when you, you know what a trigger point is, right? A point in a muscle that sends pain somewhere else. So uh, the body talks to the rest of the body. 
So if you have pain in any one area, say you stretch the ligaments of your shoulder joint during a stunt or weightlifting or whatever, those areas connect to all other parts of the body. And so if that area is in a lot of pain to protect the tissues and the glands and the organs that it's connected to, so the right shoulder is connected to the liver and the, and the right lung, it starts dumping energy there. But then if those circuits get overloaded, it says, okay, now we got to find somewhere else. So what yeah. it does is it <laughs> actually follows the path of least resistance, which turns out to be any place you've had pain in the past is where it dumps pain because the nervous system's learned how to be in pain. There's actually a law called the law of facilitation, which basically shows that the more you have any pain in any circuit, or the more you use any particular movement pattern, such as any given exercise, the easier it is for your nervous system to produce the pattern and the less energy it takes. So as we uh, have more and more of a mounting of chronic injuries and, and, and niggles and just soreness, it actually starts causing bombardment of the spinal cord. And it just, imagine a waterfall that starts overflowing and cascading, looking for the path of least resistance, which is where all our old injuries are. So the next thing you know, you wake up and it feels like, oh my God, that's the injury I had playing high school football. Oh, that's the knee from when I fell off the ladder. <laughs> oh my God, everything's yeah. breaking down. But it could be just one real injury that yeah. started that and then a lack of maintenance along the way. And the next thing you know, you're, you can actually end your career that way. A lot of professional athletes came to me in exactly that state and I had to unwind the whole mess for them. If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it's magnesium. Magnesium is the body's master mineral, influencing over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. But there are two big problems here. One, magnesium has been largely missing from U.S. soil since the 1950s, which explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient in magnesium. And two, most supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium, when really there are at least seven that your body needs and benefits from. If you take this latter fact into consideration, it's not illogical to conclude that 90% of the population is likely to be deficient in two or more essential forms of magnesium. The good news is that when you do get all seven critical forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body is upgraded from your brain to your sleep to pain and inflammation reduction, and it all improves fast. That's why I'm so excited about what my friends at Bioptimizers, makers of industry-leading digestive supplements, have just created. Their research team recently formulated what I believe to be the ultimate magnesium supplement, easily the best I've ever seen or experienced, with all forms of this mineral. They even include trace amounts of something called monoatomic magnesium, which helps make all the other forms more bioavailable. This is by far the most complete magnesium product ever created, and until or unless someone comes out with a better one, I highly recommend you give it a try. Bioptimizers calls this product Magnesium Breakthrough, and they're running a special promotion for you at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash living number four little d that's bioptimizers.com forward slash living number four little d and right now during the entire month of november bioptimizers are running their black friday and cyber monday until november 30th this is the best time of year for incredible deals on select products you can get free shipping up to 40 percent off and they're even giving away free bottles of masszymes p3om and their hcl breakthrough with select orders and here's the deal. The guys who make it are so confident that you're going to like it, 
that they're going to give you all your money back if you don't. With this one simple action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all its forms and upgrade the performance of your body, including how you look and feel in every possible way. Make sure to go to this special website because it's the only place where you get access to this amazing discount. This magnesium breakthrough promotion is only available while quantities last. Again, that's Bioptimizers, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash living number four little d. That's bioptimizers.com forward slash living four d to get your amazing deals on bioptimizers, great products, and magnesium breakthrough. I love bioptimizers. I actually do use them every day. Their products are excellent, and that's why I'm super excited to share them with you here. Enjoy. It's usually my knees that always give me issues, uh-huh. but it's never my knees. You know, yeah. like when when I start getting work done, it's like it's a it's a trap, yeah. or it's a hip, yes. or it's a groin. A lot of yeah. times, it's my groin, you know, and yeah. I feel it. So it's exactly what you're saying. I think it's my knee hurts. No, yes, my knee's fine. <laughs> yeah, but all these other things are hurting upstream. Yes, and you know yeah. when you get those things upstream fixed up, and all of a sudden you get up to walk, and your knee's not hurting. You go ah. The knee bone is connected to the hip bone, <laughs> and the hip bones connect to the pelvic bones. And you know the old yeah. song's true. Yeah, and it of course for a lot of stunt guys, it's almost like a rite of passage, or a, it's a thing. oh yeah. yeah, you're like oh yeah, I I, I had this collarbone pop through my skin, and they yeah. love to tell that story, and yeah. you're like. That just means you kind of probably had a bad stunt coordinator who set up that design poorly. Yeah. You know, it's like, I remember um, there's an interview that Chad did and they asked him and they were like, oh, you know, these stunt guys, they must be like adrenaline junkies. They must just love to go crazy and jump off of buildings. And he was just like, no, he's like, these, these are like, the things we do are highly trained, highly rehearsed to the point of ad nauseum where you can't screw it up. And we design the stunts so that they're the safest possible thing they yeah. could ever be. And to the point of like production is so mad about all the money we spent just trying to make sure he doesn't break, break a pinky, you know? Yeah. And he goes, so no, it's not just about being an asshole and an idiot and jumping off a building. Yeah. Like it's about how to make a super safe, predictable, rehearsed thing look awesome. You know, that's, you're, you're looking at the wrong end of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, there is, I know there is some, some wildness though, cause. Well, for sure. If you're going to jump off a building, no matter what, yeah. like you got to have a little bit of crazy in you, I think. <laughs> well, you see, um, one of my clients is Robbie Madison. You ever heard of Robbie Madison? I have heard the name. Yeah. yeah. He, he broke all of Evil Knievel's records and done some absolutely mind boggling stuff. I've rehabbed him from <laughs> some very serious injuries. And, uh, you know, one of the things he did is he jumped the London Bridge on his motorcycle and did a backflip in the air and landed on the other side. Holy crap. And he jumped off a, I don't know, a freaking skyscraper in Las Vegas, right off the top of the building, down up a ramp and just wild stuff. And uh, he was in um, one of the more recent David Craig James Bond movies. And I don't know if you saw that one, but there was a scene where uh, a motorcycle was racing through a bunch of buildings and jumping from roof to roof. Well, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. him. Oh, really? And he got hurt doing that, and and uh, it took. I think he said it took him a month to film all those sequences. But he was telling me, man, he says it was intense to have to do those extreme high speed stunts over and over and yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah, and that's the hard part because you know when you you got the guys like Evil Knievel, they just you do it one time and yes. hopefully they live. Yeah. You know, we got to do it 
15, 20 times. Yes. And then it's really, you know, if, if something terrible happens, you know, the production might end. So like we've built a lot of the safety into it and repetitive, like, okay, you know, we've rehearsed it for months. Like, can you do it? Okay. Can you do it again? Now, can you do it 15 times? How tired are you going to be at take eight? Like, can you really get through this? And so if you've got a good team and a good stunt coordinator, um, and hopefully a director that understands that, which is why I think that my, my two bosses have been so successful is like, they came up as stuntmen. Yeah. You know, uh, Chad doubled Keanu Reeves in the matrix movies. Dave doubled agent Smith in the matrix movies. Dave doubled Brad Pitt in a lot of movies. Um, so they know what it's like to be on that end of it. Yeah. And then when they get to make an action film, they understand it from, you know, the bottom up where a lot of times you've got a new director who did, he did a commercial, he or she, you know, did a commercial out of film school and then pitched the movie and they go, okay, you're the director now. And you go, holy crap. And they know nothing about action. Yes. They don't even know that much about camera, um, which I, why I think like, you know, especially the John Wick series has been, if you really look at it as, as the way it's shot and the stunt performances, like it's, it's really, really good because you, Mm -hmm. they finally let a guy that understands stunts and action do a movie. There was, that is like one of them, especially I think it's John Wick three, all of them. But that last one, I remember just like, it is one intense scene after a tense <laughs> scene it's just like it's unbelievable how many stunts and how much uh theatrics and and um choreography like there's to put that together has got to be really a lot of moving pieces even to act it out because there's just so many things coming at him from every different direction and all these different weapons i'm like jesus murphy that must take a hell of a lot of time to plan all that out so nobody just gets killed in there yeah and i mean we probably six months of prep work you know of our team training with keanu and um with everything and um, a lot of those guys are, are so good at this point. Um, mm-hmm. They can do a lot on the fly. But like I said, yeah, all those scenes were ridiculously rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. Um, yeah. And as much as we can with an actor like Keanu, who's willing to put in the time to do all that stuff. That's why you get to see his face in all the shots. A lot mm-hmm. of times they do that over the shoulder thing. And that's how you know there's a double in there because that, that actor didn't want to put in the effort to get good enough to do their own fights or do their own stuff. I was going to ask you that because a lot of the stunt doubles – <laughs> certainly don't look like the people they're replacing so is this all camera tricks that they're able to yeah do you with? know as long as they kind of look good from like a back 45 degree yeah. angle um they can get away with it you know and they put a wig on them and yeah and match the hair and the same suit and they just kind of have to be roughly the same size yeah and you're never going to see their face and that's another thing we you know we have to build into the choreography is where is the point where we can switch out the main actor right and can you do this move without showing your face right to the camera like if you're going to throw a guy through the air and on the way over he looks directly into camera right well that's not going to work if it's the double so now we got to do that with the actor okay now we got to train the actor to do that yes um so it's a it's and i would describe it more like a dance it's uh it looks like i've seen some documentaries showing how they do it and, and we found that um Dancers make much better stunt people than fighters do. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, we've had a lot of you know they get they choreography. Did, yeah, they're skilled know, in choreography. Chore- they understand how to work. You know, when you're fighting, obviously you understand from boxing. You know, you're you're almost working to outtime your opponent to, yeah. to be off of their center. Yes, to, you know, you're angling. Yeah, you're counter punching. Yeah. You know, whereas with a dance, you're working with your partner. Yes. You're stepping forward as they're to, it's like in unison. Mm-hmm. And that's more what the stunt work has to be. Maybe that's why Patrick Swayze was so good at this stuff. Cause he was a really skilled ballet dancer. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it it pays huge, and also they understand beats. You know, yes, we say you know we'll Rhythm. do it. Okay, it's you know because a lot of we talk about it as beats as well. Like this is a ten beat scene here. Mm -hmm. That means there's going to be ten action beats before we cut. Mm -hmm. you know, that's a lot to remember. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in different areas, different punches, different kicks. Right, and then we'll cut. So you got to be able to get through that. And your partner has to go through it with you. There's a lot of eye contact. There's yeah. a lot of visual feel. There's a lot of trusting your partner. You know, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna swing at your face. And you gotta sell that punch so it looks amazing. And you gotta hopefully know that your partner's gonna move their face out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, how many people actually get smacked? It it happens a lot. You yeah. know, I mean, usually it's enough where and you know, and you're not you're still pulling punches a little bit here yeah. and there and whatever. And a lot of, there's a little tricks of the trade, like when we throw a big hook. You, know, you kind of turn your hand. I don't know if the audience is listening; they won't know what I'm saying. But yeah. instead of turning your hand this way, because this bone's hard, yeah. you know, if you hit him in the side of the head like this, yeah, you're in trouble. Hurt. You hit him with the palm inside here. Yeah, it's your like, forearm. It's a little softer, so we make sure when we throw a hook, our arm comes around this way and doesn't come this right. way. And little tricks of the trade like that, and um, it's usually the actors hitting us. <laughs> 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 that um they you know they were supposed to throw a hook and they threw a cross and oh, you moved yeah. your head here and it was like uh, crack and you're like oh, oh. you know but it's always as a stunt person it's always your fault just so you know <laughs> yeah it's always it's always your fault shit always rolls and downhill baby. especially if, if like you accidentally hit an actor you better be <laughs> you <laughs> might get fired. might have might be looking for a new job soon <laughs> uh, depending on the circumstances but that's like the big no-no and so you have to be very um, aware of what they're doing so you can pull that punch to the last second if you have to yeah you know? um so like i said it's more like it's much more like a dance than yeah. it is like a fight you know speaking of that like the kill bill movies were there was like some of those sword fights you've seen that right mm -hmm. um and uma thurman's certainly fun to watch or i should say look at um <laughs> And her dad, Robert Thurman, is one of one of my heroes. He's a Buddhist scholar and really amazing. Have you ever listened to him talk about? I haven't. Oh, you should look up Robert, Robert Thurman, Thurman on Buddhism. He's really deep and lovely. Um, but I remember, like, I think it was the last one, the scene where she was in a restaurant and these guys are all coming at her yeah, with the, swords. Uh, something eighty-eight. Is that what they called the bad guys? I can't remember, yeah. but there was like, you know, this thing went on for a long time yeah. and there was like so many moving pieces to this. I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, coming from a father who was a special effects man in Universal and having a sense of what a movie's all about. I'm like, that must have took a hell of a long time to choreograph all that because there was people swinging swords at every bloody angle all over the place and you could see, well, someone could get hurt doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, and those, but those are what make, in my opinion, like the great, the great, like they, you obviously remember this. Like, yeah, so, yeah. you know, you didn't, there's a, there's a lot of times, um, and my boss, Chad talks about, it. I spend a lot of more time with him lately, but he'll, he'll talk about like, was anything, he'll, he'll we'll, do, we'll choreograph a whole fight scene and he'll watch and go, okay, cool. I didn't remember a single beat of that. And it's like, okay. And what he's telling us is you need to make, there's has to be memorable things in there. And, um, that's like obviously you remember that for yes. that reason. So those are the things that I think as a as a someone who makes art, and it's like that in every picture. Like you're gonna remember something about that picture. You're gonna remember something about a song. You know, you know, it might not be the chorus. It might, the, but there might just be one line in that song that really spoke to you. And I think it's the same with movies, and especially the way we look at fight choreography is 
in every scene or you know fight scene there needs to be something that makes you remember that scene for a yeah. reason you know that so. makes me think of something have you ever done any work with jason statham yeah we've done a lot of work with him what's he like to work with he's great um he, and he he trains pretty heavily yeah. um and he was he was an athlete of course as well when he was younger he was like an olympic diver oh was he um and so he really he's a great actor too um he has that awesome british british wit yeah. and uh cockney slang a little yeah. bit um but he's he's trained with our team a lot because we did um of course the expendables movies but uh-huh. then um what was the other one uh parker he was in uh-huh. um you know the reason safe Yes, yeah. safe is a good one. That's the one with the little girl, right? Yeah. Where she has all the mafia's numbers yep. in her head. Yep. That was a great movie, actually. You know, the reason I thought of him is because one of the things, you know, I have a back uh, a background in martial arts, not just boxing, kickboxing, taekwondo. Um, I spent a lot of time <laughs> getting beat up and beating people up. But um, the every now and then you see a movie or you get an actor like that. And what I loved about his martial arts style is it's very practical. It's not often so flashy and flamboyant, you know, high spinning kicks. It's really very, for me, what I would consider to be practical martial arts. I was always wondering if that was his actual style or if he was taught that as part of the script of the movie. Um, A lot of times, and that's another cool part about our team and why people come to us is, what we really specialize in, of course, we can make you a great fight scene, but we can also build you a style for that character. You know, and a lot of that comes out of talks with the directors and producers, like, what do you really want this person to be like? You know, yeah. do you want the crazy kung fu master uh, doing, Lee. yeah, Bruce Lee, or do you want a brawler yeah. or uh, in between? You know, yeah. do you want somebody very clean and polished, or do you want it like messy and dirty and barely getting out of there alive? So. Yeah will help create that style and um you know that's saying we came up with that john wick like we call it gun fu style uh-huh. um it just happened you know it wasn't originally planned that way but that's what we developed it into and so um a lot of that gets to come from the choreographers and and yeah. then also the character you know mm-hmm. it, and of course you know him being a british a white guy <laughs> british yeah. like if he starts throwing jumping spin kicks you're gonna be like mm, i don't know about that you know <laughs> so it's a harder bit of a sell plus yeah. he has that like uh i don't want to call it, it's an angry tone to him yeah, but he's yeah. very intense and yeah. like that so yeah that's a guy that's gonna do uh you know quick lethal movements you know uh-huh. that put people down and yes. you know one or two punches he's yeah. not he's not gonna be jabbing and no dancing know. like a a butterfly floating like a butterfly stinging like a bee not a sugar ray leonard type no um are how many of these lead actors that are in these real action movies are actually truly skilled fighters themselves and maybe even do some of their own stunts um well i mean the first one everybody always talks about is like tom cruise tom Um, cruise yeah and he does legitimately do all his own stunts oh does he yeah it's amazing it's it's impressive yeah um I mean, he's done stuff that most stunt people have never done. Wow. Um, but then, you know, it de- I guess it depends on the stunt. And a lot of it, he has the, the, the I guess, the producer control um, now, too. A lot of it comes down to liability issues where, right. you know, like maybe the lead actor goes, yeah, set me on fire and push me off the building. And the production goes, no freaking way. Because <laughs> if anything goes wrong, our You're movie's over. Us, yeah. yeah. It's not that you can't do it, yeah. you know. Um, so... 
uh, you know, of course, I've been. I see a different side. I think because the movies we do, we require a lot of that from our actors. Like mm-hmm. if we're gonna do that movie for you, then you're gonna put in the training with our team. You know. How um, about Vin Diesel? Is he a martial artist or is he? I don't. That- I don't know much about him personally. Yeah. I mean, a, a couple of our guys have done the Fast and Furious movies, but uh-huh. he has his own group of people that he likes to train with. Um, uh-huh. So I honestly don't know much about him. I know like Robert Downey Jr. He he does a lot of martial arts himself. Like I think that was part of his. Re- recovery from other things mm-hmm. he got very deep into martial arts and so he's pretty skilled i you know director guy Ritchie. i mean he's uh, yeah i've never he's, seen the name yet he well he did like snatch uh-huh. um you know lock second barrel he did the latest arthur i think it's called arthur the king arthur oh yes remake. yeah great yeah. director mm-hmm. um also did sherlock holmes i think he did the sherlock holmes movies with okay. robert Downey jr okay at least the second one first one i don't know but of course, he's a director, not an actor, but he's a legitimate jujitsu black belt. Wow. You know, um, and there's a lot of these guys that you're finding out. And sometimes it's a director or this other guy, but they um, they have all have their little things. Like I rolled with, um, oh, God, what's his name? Oh, I feel bad now. You ever see Dawson's Creek? <laughs> that was a I don't teenage watch much show. television. Yeah, it was a teenage. Wind down kind of like- a TJ show. Oh, what is his name? But he came in, rolled with us, and I, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's really good at jujitsu. And um, Joel Kinnaman's another actor who is uh he's a legitimate and most of my experience has been with jiu-jitsu because they'll come and, and train with us that's kind of what we're into right now but mm-hmm. um keanu's been doing martial arts for a long time you know since yeah. the matrix wow. um and he puts in the work you know and we taught charlize theron for atomic blonde like mm-hmm. we developed that kind of very smash mouth fighting style mm-hmm. for her she put in all the work and plus she's like 511 mm-hmm. um she's an imposing woman yeah <laughs> and strong presence great actress you yeah. know i wouldn't really want to catch an elbow from her no <laughs> so it's more i think i don't know much about a lot of the different actors but i know that if they want to come to us and put in the time and effort we can turn them into something pretty great i'm sure all of you know that mushrooms have a wide range of amazing healing benefits and they're talked about a lot in the news these days. There's a huge amount of research going on. And one of the companies that does a lot of research and produces excellent products, of course, is Symbiotica. And they have an amazing new organic longevity mushroom product. So Shervine's here to explain to us exactly what we can expect from this amazing product. Shervine, what have you guys got coming out for us? (laughs) This one's exciting because as you know, you know, me and my family, we've been hunting mushrooms in the forests of the Pacific Northwest and, you know, Northeast Canada for a long time. And medicinal mushrooms, the, the, the background of it being a Taoist immortal practice coming from ancient China, this is, um, this is something new. And this is the first time it's ever been done before. Nobody has ever made a liposomal mushroom complex ever in the history of supplementation, at least in this epoch. And what we got in this one is we got King Trumpet, Turkey Tail, Antrodia, Maitake, and the Queen Rishi Mushrooms all blended together, all grown here in San Diego in an organic grow farm, certified organic. So nothing's coming from China. And it's no offense to China, but there's a massive amounts of industrial pollution there and regulations there are really, really low. So this is, this is safe for everyone, all ages. We use organic cacao extracts, and this is almost like a dessert. It's so delicious. The benefits, 
We all kind of know mushrooms. It's an adaptogenic herb. It helps your body adapt to the environments. They contain B vitamins, triterpenes, metabolites, you know, vitamin D, prebiotics. They all support a healthy immune system, nervous system. They lower systemic inflammation and it's delicious. It's like a chocolate fudge dessert and you can use it in any way you want, any application straight from the bottle. You can put it on top of foods. You can put it on top of fruits. I mean, this one's going viral right now in so many ways, and uh, I'm really excited for everyone to try it. Well, head on over to symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A, and get your happy California-raised sunshine mushrooms with some high-end chocolate. And what a great way to start your day and know you're loving your body. On checkout, use your code, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15. That's check 15 for your 15% discount. And while you're there, check out all the amazing products at Symbiotica. You can't go wrong. So So there's actually, sounds like there's a lot of real legitimate martial arts training that you have to put them through just to even be useful, even with a stunt double. We, I mean, we try, and, and that, a lot of that's up to the actor in the production. Well, some people go, you know, I, I don't. You're, they're just going to double me for that. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not touching a gun. Yeah. I don't want to touch a knife. Uh, I don't need to train. I don't need to do any of this. You're just going to double me, and they're they're out of it. And you know, I kind of, I feel like that's a poor attitude, but yeah. I do respect that. Like, if that's the way they want their movie to go, we'll train the double to look as good as. You know, we're, we're just there to facilitate the best movie possible. So they give us, sometimes they give us a pile of gold and sometimes they give us a pile of shit and we make the best, out of what you the get. best poop you could ever want to yeah. <laughs> see. Look at <laughs> Yeah. I, um, I just know that if I was in that industry or if I was an actor, I would want to be as authentic to the role as I could like it would bother me to know that a bunch of doubles were doing stuff that I could have done to keep the, shall we say, the spirit of the character as congruent through the movie yeah. as possible. I I agree, and I would be like that too. I mean, a lot of it comes down to how much time they have. You know, yeah. some of them go back to back from movies. You know, they finish a movie, and two weeks later they're starting another movie. Yes, so they might not have had that time because if you want to do a movie like John Wick. You're looking at, you know, three to four months of training, four to five hours a day. Plus we had him doing, you know, tactical gun work, driving, all that stuff. He had to learn how to ride horses for John Wick 3. Yeah. You know, that was all stuff he wanted to do. And he's willing to put in the time. Now, if it's, say, an a-, a different actor or actress who's like, I- I'm done with this movie in November and I want to start this one in December. You know, it might be a time thing. Um, and- I've, s- I've seen a few. I can't remember right off the top of my head who, but in the last couple of years, I've seen like, two or three movies come out really close together all with the same lead actor you know someone like maybe brad pitters i'm like geez how do these guys do this many movies yeah it's just it's just one right after another and it becomes i think a lot like any other job um you know you get good enough Mm -hmm. at that for me like even me like when they give me a line (laughs) they give me one line and i gotta play this like it stresses me out like (laughs) i gotta think about this i gotta wrap my head around this character and i i literally have to say one line with a russian accent and it and i got butterflies for a week (laughs) but i imagine when you're a level of brad pitt yeah you know it's just like clocking in at your office yes like here Here we go go. you know and of course and then there's actors like um daniel day lewis who literally become that person yes i remember i think it was on like the lincoln film the whole crew could only call him President Lincoln 
they, they never used his real name. Like right. he, once he stepped on set, he was yeah. Lincoln, you yeah. know, and even at home, yeah. his wife would call him president Lincoln, you know? So he just became that person for that period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's why you only see him. He puts out a movie like what one every three years tops. I've met actors that have had to go into rehab because they became so fully identified with the role that they couldn't find themselves anymore. I, I can see that. I actually you know? ran into a, pretty successful actor in australia who was visiting one of my students who was a highly skilled czech professional that was working with this guy physically emotionally mentally and spiritually to bring him back and he'd been out for three years because he got i think the movie sheet he was on was like a year long if i remember the story but he got so deeply immersed and it was like the second or third time that he had had a hard time transitioning out of the role because he came became so unified with the character that it was really screwing up all his relationships because pe yeah. people like who the fuck are you <laughs> yeah. man and there's i think another aspect of it is the energy and environment of a movie production you know it's not and i don't want to i guess i don't want to compare it to like a soldier going away for war but, but you know they go and they have an experience and they're always wired and ramped up and ready to go and yeah. this goes on for like whatever their deployments 18 months and then yeah. they got to come back to this quiet boring life yeah. of where they're growing grocery shopping and yeah. they're you know and i feel like because i know of that coming off of movies as well like especially when we shot in new york new york has a different energy it's mm. in a very intense mm -hmm. like buzz that's with you all the time and i yeah. spent like six months there and then i come back to la or no i went right from there to my parents house for christmas it wrapped up right before december and i'd wake up 7 a.m all right what are we doing today mom she'd be yeah. like we're gonna make some cookies and uh then we're gonna have dinner and i'm like that's it like what no no listen uh, we should do this and like, <laughs> you know that i was i was drinking a couple glasses of wine like every day at lunch just to chill myself out because yeah. i was so just ready to go all the yeah. time and i imagine that too for an actor yeah. that's literally been and they and they probably have a more stressful schedule than even stunt people do you know yeah because they're on there are days where we're not on set you know we don't have to shoot that day we were in action but as a lead actor you're probably there almost every day so then you go from that crazy everyday mm -hmm. other person lifestyle to like normalcy whatever that may be at this point i can imagine that for a lot of people is tough yeah you know tough. when i was a paratrooper uh it was intense i was in a zero one priority unit which means you're the first to go to war anywhere so you're always on high alert and they rotate through the different units of that caliber in the 82nd airborne division so i think there was three other attack helicopter companies if i remember right i was in the 82nd combat aviation battalion but you're on zero one priority for i can't remember how long x number of weeks or months and so you're you know you got to be ready to rock 24 7 you know yeah. at the drop of a hat you're in action and if anything breaks it has to be worked on non-stop till it's fixed and i've done 40 hour shifts you know and just felt like crap that's how i got addicted to coffee but uh, when I got out of the 82nd Airborne Division, and uh, I mentioned this on a previous podcast, I think it was uh, almost three years to the day after I got out, my wife looked at me and she said, you've finally healed from being in the army. What do you mean? She goes, you're finally the man that I married now. But it took you three years to get rid of all the wind up and the intensity and stress yeah. of being a paratrooper. And it affected me and your son very much. <laughs> but you that. don't even realize it when you're in it because you're just so used to constantly being 
on go mode and you just can't even give yourself permission to feel tired or you know you just got to keep yourself jacked up is you know you, you ever, ever seen the hurt locker yes i feel like they did a very good job of that yeah of explaining that part of it yes where, and then he tries to go home and he's just like i don't what, like what's happening what am i doing yeah and then he ends up going going back for deployment even though he didn't have to he just yes felt there so yeah I, I can see that and and i jones for it a little bit too you know when i've haven't worked like this covid thing is i'm thinking when am i going to get to go because i also i never used to like to travel and i've found that i really like going experiencing new things now like yeah like i said the, the time in budapest was awesome i had did some longer stints in vancouver mm -hmm. um yeah, even beautiful. atlanta san francisco mm -hmm. uh when we shot logan we were in chama new mexico which was really awesome because there's like nothing in chama it's like right at the north border the colorado new mexico border and you're about ten thousand feet up and that was a different experience too because the altitude kicked the shit out of yes. me like i had a rough time for about a week but you're and we're in this crappy little motel like normally we get these great five-star hotels and we've got chauffeurs and but there's nothing there so yeah. we're in this crappy little motel and there was one restaurant in the whole town that was open because they the only thing else that happens there is elk hunting uh -huh. um, and it wasn't elk season right. so the town's empty yeah. and we're shooting out in the woods and they drive you up there and then you'd have another they drop you off you had another 15 minute 20 minute walk into the woods wow which at that point you're out of breath because the altitude's killing you yep. and i was just like and it and at the time i was like this sucks yeah uh -huh. <laughs> and now i look back and go i would love to do that again yeah like just to be in it you know yeah. just to be back in it and that and it didn't have refrigerators in our room so i'm living out of this ice cooler bag that i fill yeah. up with ice from down below yeah and, modern camp trip the, the things you don't appreciate at the time that you're thinking like and you're pissed you're like this is crap i'm calling sag you can't treat us like this we need more <laughs> and then now i'm going you know what that was so simple so the simplicity of it all and just being out in the woods and being away from so many people and like your cell phone never worked well, that's great which at the time i i wish i would have appreciated yeah you know well, that was the one I took a surf trip to uh, Costa Rica uh, quite a long time ago. And when I got there, Verizon had told me my cell phone would work when I got there. It didn't. <laughs> it just couldn't do anything with it. So I turned it off and I put it in the safe. And for 10 days, I didn't. You know, I'd, I'd, uh, my buddy's cell phone worked. So I'd, still, I'd call home like every three days and let him know I was alive. But that was it. And Must I, have felt good. And I noticed there was no clocks anywhere there. Yeah. It was Tamarindo. And I, I took my watch off after like two days. And yeah. we'd, we'd wake sun would rise and we wake up and i'd have some coffee and i'd surf and then we'd take a nap <laughs> and then we'd surf when the tide came back in have we'd eat food. dinner it'd start to get dark i'd get tired and i'd go to bed that's the way to do it and it was it was awesome yeah i felt so good you know you, you couple that with some good solid training that lifestyle and yeah. you can really develop your strength and uh feel good your body works good that's you know i do my best to live that way i'm very governed by the sun but it's taken me a lot of years to figure out how to do a lot efficiently, you know, and I think a lot of us, just like you're talking about the actors that can make multiple movies, it takes a lot of maturity in life to really learn how to work with the laws of the universe and still get a lot done, but also be able to actually live and stay grounded and, and be human, you know, yeah, not, not kind of caught in the rat race to the point that you start breaking down and breaking down in relationships and your health starts breaking down and you keep convincing yourself this is what you got to do for money and whatever other story you got going on but it ultimately leads to uh a lot of pain yeah i mean i uh my previous relationship that ended a few years ago i i, I 
a lot of it it was due to my obsession with having to work and i this mm-hmm. is this is what i need to do and and she was in the same spot at the time you know mm-hmm. she her career was taking off she was building things so we both kind of decided well we'll go our se- not really go our separate ways but we can we can do this and eventually it'll all work out like after we get this under control we'll, but we just drifted apart and you know the, you know now looking back on it you know i don't know if i would change anything because of things i've learned and we're mm. we're still really good friends and she's got a great thing going and i have a great thing going and i have an amazing new girlfriend um, yes you I'm, do i'm yeah <laughs> i mean i'm 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 you know i'm extremely happy right now so I, that's another thing too is that you try not to look at your regrets too much you know no. to go back and go man if i'd only done this different but then as I sit right now talking to you, I'm extremely happy. So, like, if I would have went back and changed anything about my whole life, would I still be here? No, probably I wouldn't. not. Obviously, so you like, wouldn't. Yeah. You, you're, you know, the thing, a lot of, there's an old saying, a lot of people spend their life look, looking in the rearview mirror, and that's a great way to crash. You know, like, oh, if I only, you know, like, it's like they say the older I get, the faster I was. If you hear a bunch of guys talking, the older they get, the stronger they were and the faster yeah. they were because they're still living in the past, right? But, uh, yeah, no, it's, there, there's a, there's a lot of magic and mystery to life. If you, um, can get to the point in your life where you realize that a lot of the challenging and painful situations ultimately turned out to be the forces of direction that led you to the greatest moments of tremendous beauty. Yeah, I agree. And that's, I tell you a story about my friend telling me to look for signs Yes, and I've started to notice those, and then now I, you know, I have those moments where I go, "I'm, I'm pretty happy." Yeah, you know, and it's a, it's a, such a good feeling. Yeah, me too. And I hope, you know, I see a lot of other people that don't, that are, in, and maybe they'll get there eventually, but they're yeah. so caught up in thinking that that they need to do these things to yeah. eventually be happy. Right. That, and now I'm 41, and you know, you can't ever get that time back. So no. I'm trying now to, like, I guess, stop and smell the roses a little more than I've ever done. Um, but still stay motivated. You know, yeah, I think absolutely. that's the balance. It's like, it is the balance. I, I still have so many things I want to do, but yet, you know, like I said, just right now in this moment, I'm so appreciative of it and I'm genuinely happy. So I don't have any real regrets. I can, I can say, Hey, that's and, a sweet spot to be. So it's, it's really interesting kind of, it feels like I'm getting to be inside the movie industry and, and I love hearing, you know, <laughs> the journey and I love how you didn't have any conception in your earlier stages of being a guy in the movies and just sort of the life draw drew you into this experience. Right. And that's the golden thread I talk about to people a lot. I say, look, you know, you may not know what your dream is, but if you just stick to the things that give you a sense of connection and meaning, they'll turn out one day to be an amazing set of skills that you developed during times when you, reach the point in any given one experience where you said, okay, I'm not happy anymore. I've got to go do something else. Or, you know, I've been in situations where I was doing jobs that just, I just felt like, God, I am not using my brain. This is just pure grunt work and it's feeding the family, but I got to get out of here as quick as I can. And then later in life, those skills turned out to be something absolutely essential that I needed at that given time. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so good that I did that job on the fishing boat or I did that this job or that job because I wouldn't have known what to do right now and so you get to a point in your life where you look back and you can see there was a magical force drawing you to all the people places and experience that ultimately shaped you into the person that you become right yeah and I 
a lot of times I tell people, you know, I, oh, I have electrical engineering degree. And they're kind of like, oh, really? And first they're amazed at that. But then they're also like, man, what? I guess you wasted four years of your life doing that. And I go, no. Like, I don't see it that way. No. You know, like I had a pretty great experience at college. Yeah, I may have had a little too much fun at, at points. <laughs> but like the amount of stuff I learned, um, especially math, physics, all that, like, you know, there's a very technical side of stunt work and rigging. And yeah, that there stuff. has to be, my you God. Know? Like and, you and said, with, all these layers of protection. With all the other departments, too. You know, you look at the guys doing lighting and that, you know, there, there is a huge art aspect to it. Because I see these guys literally just, they'll stand in a spot and go, okay, that one needs to move 10 degrees. Yes. That move. But there's also, it's all controlled by electronics. They know the angles. They know the cameras shooting at a certain, you know, whatever. Um, they, they got everything kind of melds together. So... It's a very technical, a very, at this point, technologically advanced way of making art. But, yes. you know, there's also that artistic side to it, too. So I don't, I don't think I have any real regrets about all the stuff I learned. And then, you know, from, I, I, I did maintenance at apartments for probably a good year of my life, just fixing toilets and doors and light yeah. bulbs. But, like, that's, you learn a lot that way, too. And it just a kind of, like, can-do attitude where no job's below me at this point, you know? You know, like, you learn a lot. With those types of jobs, you learn who in the fuck designed this. They obviously <laughs> didn't work on these things. That's yep. what you learn. I was a, you know, I was a mechanic for a lot of my life, and you'd be working on certain cars where like, you cannot get to the spark plugs. I'm like, who's the moron that freaking put the fender wells right up against the freaking <laughs> cylinder heads? Yeah, and you got blood all over yourself, and you're cussing and swearing. I mean, I've even seen, I've even seen the engine compartment so badly designed in some cars you actually have to undo a motor mount jack up half the motor to get the spark plugs up where you can reach them and like this what should be you know a 30 minute job turns out to be a half a day job because somebody just isn't thinking straight you know yeah i i actually took a technical writing course in college and that's basically what it was is how to write instruction manuals you uh -huh. know like because that's that falls on the engineers a lot as well if like yes. you design a project product you gotta also write the book on how to use it and so our our um, part of our job was to, f to find something and then rewrite the manual for it. And I remember, I think it was some kind of cabinet that, you know, you had to assemble yourself. And I was going through the instructions. I was like, what kind of idiot, number one, designed this? Number two, wrote these freaking instructions. <laughs> yes. And so that became my senior project for that class was I rewrote the design manual on how to put these cabinets together. And of course, I could only do so much. It was already designed, but yeah. it was a very, yeah, I, I learned a lot about like how to build things also and how to, make it easier on the next person. You yes. Know? Like if someone's got to use it after you, like don't be an asshole and just like, oh, well, sorry. Sorry about your luck. <laughs> you, you see it in the exercise industry too because um, a lot of, most of the machines in gyms, not so much now because we've moved so much into functional exercise, but, you know, for many years when I was out traveling the world teaching people how these machines fuck people up, I would show them ergonomically that the machines are designed for the average male, which is five foot eleven. So if you're six foot four, the machine doesn't fit. If you're five yeah. foot six, the machine doesn't fit. If you're a woman, <laughs> unless you're five eleven, you're screwed. You know, and a lot of injuries come from the fact that the mechanical angles of force don't match the momentum of the joint, so the point at which the joint can handle the most load, for example. And so a lot of people are getting injured, and I'm like, who in the world built these things? Because they obviously think human beings are robots, not yeah. biological organisms, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of crazy, 
crazy machines out there. We worked out at a gym when we were in Ohio on a family vacation, and I've, I saw some crazy, I think I took some pictures. I hope we, maybe I can show them to you, but some of the contraptions they had in there, and they yeah. were obviously old. I, you know, and I'm a pretty smart guy. I got an engineering degree, and I've been in a lot of gyms, and I looked at it and was like, I don't know what that's for. <laughs> I have no idea how to even get into that or what that's supposed to do. <laughs> Um, but it was fascinating. Like, who thought this was a good idea? Yeah, exactly. Or you just see people doing exercises and you go, where did you see that? Yes, you know? yes. Oh, trust me, I'm, you know. Uh, you know. Like, what What YouTube video led you to come into the gym and do that? Yes. <laughs> like, that's bizarre, but hey. Yeah, it's called, I don't know what I'm doing, but it looks cool and I hope I get a lots of views video. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm curious to hear about is how has this whole COVID issue altered your life in movie production and stunts and acting and and all that? That's my first question. My second question is, what is your take on this whole thing? Because being a man of Hollywood, it seems yeah. like it's one of the greatest Hollywood productions I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, so... The first question, basically when, you know, California especially was like one of the first early lockdown states and yeah. that just shut everything down and nobody was doing anything and all the production stopped. Um, luckily, I had just finished up. We, they're doing another Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was in San Francisco and that ended the first week of March. And I think like the following week is when the shutdown happened. So mm. I just met, we just finished my section of that. I didn't really, I was planning on taking a month off anyways, because that was actually when paleo effects was supposed to be alex and sarah were originally supposed to be married i think april right so i was planning on not working until april was over anyway so mm-hmm. i was like well this is actually not bad timing great we'll shut down we'll still have but the shutdown obviously lasted longer than a couple of weeks so yes. um and then um hollywood you know and they're very uh i guess i don't know liberal leaning uh kind of way where they I'm not saying they took it more seriously than necessary, whatever, but they just decided we're just going to follow it by the book. Plus there's a lot of insurance things in place or whatever. And there's still no, you can't buy like COVID insurance. You know, you have production insurance, but Mm -hmm. even our, we have a training facility and I went over our insurance there and we have a specific pandemic exclusion (laughs) where along with earthquakes, like certain things in California, like you got to buy separate earthquake insurance. You have to buy separate fire insurance. Like, um, we had a pandemic exclusion and I don't know exactly what that means. And I don't think they do either, but basically it means someone comes into our gym and gets COVID our insurance company is not responsible in any way. Um, you know, the paradox of all that, there's not a single reliable test to determine COVID in the world. So it's all based on a scarecrow, every yeah. single bit of it. Someone said, Oh, Donald Trump got COVID. I said, well, how the hell does anybody know that? Because the test they're using the PCR test has been investigated top to bottom, and even the inventor himself said this is not designed to diagnose a viral <laughs> infection. And I could sit here and give you our discussion on all the things I've learned studying this, but it's this is what I mean. There's a lot of Hollywood going on with COVID because you cannot actually diagnose the virus. Yeah. It's impossible. Well, I mean, it became immediately politicized. Yes. You know, one way or the other. Um, so Hollywood just basically decided well the easiest thing for them to do is just do everything by the book follow whatever whatever recommendations the governor you know of california basically says we'll do that we don't follow these protocols um and that lasted quite a while where just nobody was doing anything but then um eventually we realized we needed to get back to work 
So certain people, companies, whatever, started then coming up with COVID, I guess, COVID compliant ways to operate a set, which they, now a lot of companies, I think that like Google has put COVID compliant stuff in place so they can still have people into their offices and stuff like that, which includes, you know, social distancing, masks, hand washing stations, um, no more like buffet style food, everything's Mm. single serve, packaged, uh, that kind of thing. So Hollywood started to adopt those. And I actually took, you know, for our training facility, if in case needed, I took a COVID compliance course, which mm-hmm. was like a two hour course online and you mm-hmm. get certified COVID compliance officer. Basically that means you know what you need to do to, to follow these set of guidelines. Yes. And they're just guidelines. There's no adopted standard, anything at this point either. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's what this organization, this organization, and everybody got together and said, this is our best, thing we can come up with so follow these guidelines um so the movie started implementing that and then it, it developed into a whole department we now have a covid compliance department where there's probably another six to ten people on set that just Jeez. handle covid compliance and you know now we a lot of productions have done you know weekly testing some have moved up to daily testing they have these rapid tests where i suppose they get the retest test results in 20 minutes so mm-hmm. everybody gets tested every morning you wait till your test results are back in a little tent to the side then they say you can go in you got to fill out a questionnaire every day which is basically a waiver saying i didn't have any symptoms i haven't been around anybody you do mm-hmm. all that stuff they let you on set you got to wear your mask all the time i've only worked on one show so far for a few days where all that was going on and it didn't I would say it only reduced productivity by 10 to 15% overall. You know, so it didn't really slow us down that much. But, okay, so you've got a $100 million movie, 10%. That's, that's a lot. $10 million of, of work or not work you can do. Um, and, you know, I don't want to make it sound just about the money, but let's face it, that's what drives most of well, yeah. what we get to do on a movie set or any business. For yeah, yeah. I mean, we all have you to know? make a living, right? And um you know, money might be the root of all evil, but also it's the uh, blood of life for, a, a, you know, for an yeah. industrialized world. I mean, we all have phones, we all have cars, we all have homes, and if we had to eat and we have to pay bills, and I mean, you know, money is really the life force that circulates through a culture to keep it alive because it's based on exchange of currency. It's not like it used to be where, you know, I might be able to give you some milk and you might be able to fix my fence or you know do something yeah. in trade now it's you know really hunting is is what 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 men like you and I used to do to go hunting now becomes hunting to make enough money to live the life we want to live and take care of the people that we love so it's you know there's a certain point and in the you know <laughs> speaking of money if you have enough money you can actually create an illusion that entraps an entire world and it takes a uh, you know, a few billionaires holding hands and some of the investigations into who's really coming out big in COVID. This is just a few arrows pointing to a very few spots Yeah, who have been very good at staging a worldwide action flick with a horror story thrown in and some manipulation and some drama and some political shit. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, watching, uh, I don't know if you saw this video that I've seen a few times now, but one of the doctors that, who, whose information on COVID I really trust pointed out, look, this video has been played over and over again in the news 
And here it is being shown and said to be in New York. Here they're saying it's in Italy, and here they're saying it's in Australia or whatever. Yeah. They were showing the same piece of video footage. It was exactly the same people in the same waiting room, but proposed to be at different sites all over the world, creating this look of panic and stress and flooded hospitals. And then another woman I know that investigates these things went out to hospitals when they were saying on the news how the hospitals were overflowing with COVID people. The hospitals were completely empty. The nurses were hardly even there. The, the paramedics hadn't seen hardly anybody. The places were ghost towns. So, you know, the more I looked into the whole thing, the more I went, somebody's put a lot of money into creating a very appropriate movie that is so real that people are actually believing it from the top to the bottom, except the very people that are manufacturing and producing the movie. But uh, anyhow, after all that, I'm just curious, what's your take on, on COVID as an actuality? Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's a real virus that does exist. Mm -hmm. But just like with any other virus or even bacteria, I still think if you're healthy, then, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of problems. But then again, you know, if you compare populations, you know, like a lot you know, say what you will about Sweden and a lot mm -hmm. of people are not happy about what they did or happy about what they did, but they're a very healthy population of yeah. people. Mm -hmm. Um, so would, should we have done what Sweden has done? I probably not either, because I don't think our population could withstand that kind of what they, you know, their herd immunity and, and mm -hmm. not really closing down and that kind of thing, because, you know, you know, the stats, like mm -hmm. most of the country is overweight. Most of the country mm -hmm. has a, a form of heart disease or diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. So, when you throw in those factors, it's like, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't really know what the answers should have been, but I know that if people were healthy and like, you know, myself and others, you know, you take care of yourself. I, I don't think you have a lot to be concerned about. No, actually the most current stats by the most reliable people in the industry have shown that COVID's actually no more dangerous than the seasonal flu. In fact, slightly less dangerous. And it, doesn't affect anybody any more than the seasonal flu. In other words, the same people that would have gotten sick and died from the seasonal flu, no matter what the cause, no matter what the age, they're already unhealthy people. So they're a setup for, you know, they're Humpty yeah. Dumpty sitting on a wall waiting for the slightest wind to cause a big fall. The other thing about the whole COVID issue is there's so much constant repetition and focus on COVID, COVID, COVID. You're going to get this, you're going to get that, you're going to get sick, you got to wear this mask, you got to get these shots. If you look at you know what the placebo effect is, right? Yeah. Well, the placebo effect in reverse is called the nocebo effect. And scientifically, it's just as powerful. You can convince a whole population that <laughs> yeah. they're sick as quick as you can use the placebo effect to make them think they're taking a real drug when there's nothing in it but, you know, powdered sugar. So one of the things that concerns me as a, as a therapist and someone who studied how the mind works very extensively, including brainwashing, is that now that you see all the facts in place, and I don't know if you know this, the German government put together an investigative team because they were very concerned about how did this really happen because their own statistical analysis of the virus and everything else was very, very radically different than what was being said by other countries and other experts. And uh, recently, I was forwarded from a friend a video of a German lawyer who's also licensed in California who was asked to be on their investigative team, and he actually did a 45-minute video saying, this is what we found, and we are starting a major lawsuit against the CDC, the World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for Crimes Against Humanity, 
and they included the fact that the PCR test is completely useless as a test for identifying COVID, and, and it has up to 90% false positives. I've seen studies ranging from 45% to 90% false positives, which means it can also give you a false negative. So they're basing this whole thing on a test that's never even designed to be used. Uh, you know, there's there's a long, long laundry just statistical manipulation, um, inner conflict with governments. Um, I've actually seen documents showing that COVID was planned as early as uh, 2010, and government documents being circulated between the organizations planning to implement uh, martial law, and it's part of a series of events that they're planning to ultimately create a sort of a global cage that everybody lives in under maximum security, including things like putting everybody on a monthly pay. You don't have, you can't have your own free will. It's it's really a, a, a seriously fascist regime, um, and it was interesting because. Um, you know, when I was talking to Ari Hanover, the podcast that I recently had out with the the Rumi expert and artist uh, that you and I were talking about briefly, um, she was she lived through that. You know, when she was in a, a kid, they, there was eight years war between Iraq and Iran, and and she talked about how they, you know, they all of a sudden they were forced to wear their faces covered, wear long clothes, even if it was hot as hell. They couldn't dance, they couldn't eat certain yeah. foods. They lost all their freedoms due to the incoming of a fascist regime that practiced a form of Islamic faith that was very old, traditional, and dogmatic. And so she talked about how that just completely took their whole lives over and, and they had to live in this very, very controlled manner, which is very much like what's happening now. Uh, so it's I was just curious, you know, what was it like inside of Hollywood going through all that? Which you kind I mean, of outlined. Yeah. I, I didn't, and of course, I wasn't, I'm not really on that level where I'm making those decisions or really being that influenced oh, I totally by, understand, you know, yeah. I just get to go in and work under the whatever rules they've set yeah. for us. So I just know that a lot of, a lot of just stuff just died, didn't happen. And then we are trying to get back to work as best we can, given the rules. But a lot of it just, which is sad, you know, and, and I feel like that's a problem with our health system today. A lot of the... The decisions are being made and like, how will this lead to the least amount of lawsuits? <laughs> yeah. You know, not like what's the truth, what's the best thing. But if we do all these things, like just like you said, put everybody under house arrest and paying yeah. this money, well, then nobody can sue us, you right. know, because we've done everything we can to try and contain this. Well, what if we don't do this and a couple of people get sick here and then they sue it? Like, yeah. so I think, you know, and it, it happens a lot with, um, like I said, any, any organization, any set of rules, it's like, well, how will this get us the least amount of monetary damages? Yeah, there's well, lawsuits well, coming out all over the world now. Yeah. Well, they're suing like on the other side of things. Like you've suppressed us and oppressed yes, us yes. versus I got sick and it's right. because you didn't take the precautions right. you should have. So, exactly, yeah. you know, maybe we'll see how that pans out. And, you know, I hope ultimately I just want to know the truth, which I don't even know is possible anymore. That's the, uh, that's the hard part. Not, is, through the, not through the government, yeah, not through the media, not through know, the, the, the CDC, it, not through the World Health Organization. And like you said, they've done it to themselves by using these multiple videos that people go, wait a minute, that's not right. But I think, um, I can't remember who was talking about it. It might have been Sam Harris. I don't know if you ever listened to Sam yeah, Harris. I, I, yeah, stuff. he's a famous atheist. Yeah, but he was, I think, talking about how something gets, if something false gets posted and say 100 people read that false thing, 
even if they post a retraction, only like 10% of those people will ever read the retraction. And only like 10% of those people actually believe the retraction. So you can pump out a whole lot of bullshit and never even have to worry about whether anybody's ever going to know the truth or not because it's going to be such a small minuscule amount of people that you'll never really know so they're just throwing out whatever whatever will stick and throw this out scare people just constantly toss out there and there's a certain group of people like you and others that are really looking at and go wait a minute this is bullshit this is bullshit but like it's such a small minority of people that they don't even care you know they already know they they won that fight you know they so what's even worse though is the whole thing is based on an extremely outdated false premises of what a virus is and how it works. And that, to me, is, is sad. And, uh, you know, I won't sidetrack our conversation with it, but when you actually really look into what a virus is and how it works and you listen to talks by the world's leading experts on it, everything about the way it's being handled is completely false. It's based on an entire premise First of all, for something to infect you, it has to be alive. A virus isn't alive. <laughs> I love reading the, the label that says kills coronavirus. And I'm like, yeah, never mind. I'm not. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes, it's, kills, it's like. Uh, kills, kills viruses kills and bacteria. De- kills like, dead people. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, you never. I just, I just can't fight that battle anymore. <laughs> no, no. That's, that's part of the problem too. I think for me, it's just sad because, you know, things like this they they concern me uh, you know one i used to be a paratrooper and my job was to defend the country of the united states against any real threat and when i feel like our own country is under attack from within itself it, it really it really triggers me as as someone who has uh nationalism from the perspective of what it means to be an american and what how important freedom of speech and constitutional rights are. And when all of a sudden I'm losing my freedom of speech and so are the most wise doctors in the world, you know, and I interviewed Leslie Manukian all about this because she did extensive research into it. And she said, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, you know, they keep taking the truth off of the internet because you don't want, they don't want you to see the truth. And so I said to her, well, how do you know what the truth is? She goes, that's easy. That's what they're taking down. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how you know what it is. Because if you are telling anything to do with the truth that goes against their narrative and their, their agenda, then you're the bad guy and they'll do anything they got to do to make you the bad guy. Yeah. And I'm, I've never, and it might've been Sam Harris again as well, who talks a lot about how like suppression is never like convinced people otherwise. Like you can't just shut, tell them to shut up and go home. No in order to like oppose or defeat an idea, you have to present a better idea, a better idea, you know? So it's like, no, you can't just say that's bullshit. You're not allowed to say it, go home, be quiet. If you have a better, something better to offer, like put that forward and say, this is why you're wrong. And not just, you know, like I said, yeah, the silencing, the canceling, that seems, I just don't like the way that's going. Well, and, actually, if you look at the importance of diversity in nature, without which we would not have sustainability. If you study philosophy or you study education or science of mind, you have the same problem as soon as you begin to diversify freedom of speech. Because now, you know, like one of the things that's happening all over the world is people are trying to limit what you can say on college campuses. They're excluding certain topics. They're excluding, you know, anyone wants to talk about, you know, Nazis or any of this 
uh, stuff that's uncomfortable to hear about, they're trying to completely eliminate it, which is exactly what Facebook and, and Google are doing, except they're the ones that are becoming the idea police of the world, not realizing that if we don't, A, if we take away freedom of speech, we also take away our warning buzzer. Because if someone starts talking about, I'm going to blow up a bunch of people or I'm going to shoot people in public, we say, okay, we got to watch this guy because he's loopy. But if you repress all that, you don't know and those that they still go do it, right? And then if you get great minds that are thinking outside of the box that are proposing like an alternative cause of COVID as something maybe from nature with a real solid background that could really make us all think of these things in much greater ways, but they keep eliminating that. What happens is you keep narrowing the range of exposure. And because life uses a polarity, there is a dialectic of energy, male, female, light, dark, uh, you know, morning, night, uh, north, south, everything's, consciousness can't function without a polarity. So the more you start removing freedom of speech the more you actually depolarize the field of the experience of life and so imagine it this way pretend that you're a gym owner and someone comes by law and says um squat cages are illegal now and then cable machines become illegal and then dumbbells become illegal so the question i have for you is how far do you go before you can no longer do your job as a conditioning professional to help people condition for the environments that they need to perform well in because it's against the law to use machines that are symbols for ideas that some people may not like right so the next thing you know you've got a, a yoga studio but no yoga instructors that's always the other side of the coin too. They want they want all these people silenced, and it's like okay, because you don't like their ideas, but and then the people that are in the control of that might not like their ideas. But then what happens when the tables flip and there's other people now that control the ideas, and they tell you you can't have your ideas. So like that's always been my take on it is I'd I'd rather just have all the ideas out there. You Me know? too. It's the same with like you know say I'd rather have my neighbor put a Confederate flag in his front yard. Then hang it up in his basement yeah. that nobody knows about. Right. And then one day you're over having beers with him. He's like, I want to see my basement. I'm like, yeah, sure. And you go down there, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, no. You yeah. know, I've been letting my kid play with your kid the whole time. Yes. You've, he's, my kid thinks you're a great guy. And like, yeah. no, I'd rather have put it in your front yard. Let me know. And yes. then let me make my decisions about you that way, knowing the truth versus you putting up this show and not really being honest with the world about the person you are, whether it's good or bad, or I agree with you or not, but I should be able to make those decisions, not having the government tell me like what I can and can't do. A great example of exactly what you're talking about is the Catholic Church hiding and repressing and suppressing how many of their priests and upper echelon people were having sex with children and doing all sorts of you know, crazy shit, and there's even you know good movies made about it, but... Uh, you know, it, it, it's like the number of people I've rehabilitated from sexual trauma from being in Catholic churches, honestly, at this time in my career, it's probably 50 plus. Wow. And for one therapist out of 7 billion people to have done therapy on more than 50 people with sexual traumas from being a child in a Catholic school or a Catholic uh, Sunday school, but also having talked to people inside these organizations that have told me exactly how they work to suppress it. 
But what they did was they would just move them out of town and put them in another city if they if if they had to go to court or if somebody made accusations. Yeah. But they never did any re, really any rehab or anything to protect the public from them. They just moved. So sure enough, then it started happening wherever they went. You could pretty detectives followed these people and found that these cases would just follow these guys around. And so you know that that's what what I'm saying is this is the same kind of issue that you're talking about with someone having hiding who they really are in their basement instead of letting everybody know i say freedom of speech is as important as diversity in nature it's as important as diversity in sexuality uh you know life depends on diversity for stability you know diversity means options and and as the environment change the less options you have the more trouble you've got yeah and right now it's a weird technology driven world of facebook and then we're bumping up into you know, what's really, because freedom of speech basically just protects you against the government, you know, from being put in jail. But so if a a privately owned company platform doesn't want you to have a voice on there, you know, technically there's nothing that that's not a violation of free speech amendment or anything like that, but is now the way those things are used, you know, are are they, are they a utility at this point? You know, everybody, they want everybody to have access to the internet. Well, and that that requires a certain amount of letting everybody have access to the internet, not yeah. like the people that use it appropriately and the people who use it inappropriately. That's for the government law to determine, you know, if they violate certain laws or whatever. But like, yeah. that's not for Facebook to determine, in my opinion, or Google. But again, we don't have, we haven't really had that conversation fully yet of what of the power that those things hold and they started those talks. You know, yeah. Zuckerberg's been in front of the Senate, and yeah. so has Google people to them trying to hash this out and i i hope they come out on the right side of it where it, it's it still remains like a free and open platform eventually i think one you of know. the problems though is i totally understand the perspective that you just shared about the fact that they're companies and people are signing up and they're agreeing to this a 99.99 percent of people never read those contracts because you're usually in a hurry you want to yeah. get your something to work and you, and most people don't even understand the language they're using anyhow uh, i mean when you're reading a contract like that if something's capitalized it means something completely different than if it's not capitalized i mean a lawyer can tell yeah. you every single change in the syntax or structure of a sentence or a word has a legal meaning 99.99% of the people in the population don't even know what they're agreeing to. So that is a problem. Second of all, when you get the massive number of people that are going through a corporation like Facebook to have a means of engaging other people to the point that that becomes the primary means of social engagement, you now have a force of enculturation. You now have a force of indoctrination, and you now have a force that's so powerful it actually changes the way people perceive themselves, others in the world. And that's no longer the domain of a corporation. Yeah, I agree. Right? And this is exactly the problem with organized religion. Organized religion is a system of dogmas that compete against each other largely to make money and have a massive effect on the formation of a person's mental structure, sense of self, sense of world, and sense of other. And when religions, for example, claim that if you don't take Jesus as your savior, then you're going to burn in hell, then it creates a real problem because now what you're doing is you're creating a belief system that is exclusional to potentially half the world or more, 
right? More than that. I mean, if I think there's like 1.5 or 1.2 billion Christians. But so when you get that many percentage of the people believing that everybody else is a sinner and there's something wrong with them for not accepting a savior, then you can understand why the number one cause of war in the world is religious differences about God. But I tell people, you got to understand, that's not real religion. That's corporate religion. That's how the Vatican became the richest corporation in the world to this day. And so my point is, is what we're actually now having is we're having Facebook starting a religion with no name that is affecting people without their awareness of how their minds are being manipulated, their choices are being manipulated, and they're using AI technology to scavenge their data. And within minutes, you can actually see if you watch, for example, if you go look for something on Amazon, within minutes, you'll start getting emails telling you about all these new products that are exactly what you were just looking for. And you'll get emails that interestingly have the names of friends of yours in the headings of the emails, which means somehow they know exactly who you're talking to all the time. So this, this is going beyond the, the real domain of a company that has a product to a formative force as powerful of, as religion that has turned you into its product. And that's what deeply concerns me. And the reason I'm talking about it right now is because they're using the same sort of strategies that Hollywood uses to make something look real. We really think people die in the movies. If it's done well, it feels like they died. If it if it's done well, it looks like a woman just had a baby. Yep. Right? <laughs> That's the goal. If it looks yeah. well, it, you really think that woman just had a hell of a good orgasm, right? But when you're successful enough in Hollywood to make people have visceral emotional reactions to a movie and even hate the actors that are the bad guys, then you don't realize that when that same technology is broadcast into your mind regularly, that you can actually get to the point where you believe that your life is under threat of an invisible virus that no one's ever really proven to exist other than a few documents saying that it was created in Wuhan and that there's military organizations using these things. And all of that could be true, but that doesn't mean that it's actually doing what they say they do. It just means that they've put a name and a face on an invisible character, just like they do in the movies. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it sucks. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> I don't does. know what to say about that because I, I, I honestly have a deep love and passion for the movie business and the things I've get to have done and the things we've created and the things I've seen my bosses create and our team create. And then at the same time, I know there's this very dark side of it. And I, but I imagine it's like that in any corporate. It is. You know, it's no different. Maybe no. I, you just see it more, and because of the fame and it's broadcast in front of you, versus you don't know what you know. Exxon's doing in the shadows, right? Uh, unless yeah. their oil well leaks, you know. Well, meanwhile, you know Hollywood might be dousing you with oil all day long, but yes. you think it's cool, yeah. So yeah. same thing. Um, but yeah, I, 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 at this point, I, I just, I sometimes just need to unplug totally and go. I don't want to deal with it, and I, I know I should. Well, you know, the it's thing tough. Is, it's it is. It's part of life, but I think that as a collective, we actually have to come face to face with what with what we've created and choosing not to choose is choosing 
right? Just letting the state handle everything, trusting the medical system, trusting the military, and just thinking, oh, you know, all I've got to worry about is, you know, getting some food on the table and getting my hot rod and having my perfect little life, you know, with my, my little yard. But actually what happens is the more we defer of our responsibilities for what we're doing as a collective to a few people, and the less we know about what our tax dollars are doing, the more likely we are to one day have to meet the dragon that we've created out of passivity and out of checking out and out of being busy on games and television shows and not really saying, you know, what's really going on with our money and what are we really and what, what do what do the Muslims really experience as an American versus who we really are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that we have to go through these cycles. You know, that's what revolutions are all about, right? We had to free the slaves because as we finally woke up to humanity and said, wait a minute, they're humans just like us. We can't torture people like that. Well, as we matured, we realized we have to have equality because we're all human beings. And then, you know, you look at all the different things that we have collectively come together, you know, the whole psychedelic phenomenon in the 60s over Vietnam because so many people just, it, they felt sick about what we were doing because they were conscious of the fact that they didn't want to participate in something that wasn't a real threat to our country, that was an abuse of power, an abuse of military force, and was for the wrong reasons. So you see a psychedelic revolution come, and those people actually turned out to be some of the great geniuses that opened yeah. their minds enough to, to give us a lot of the um, technologies and things that we had today, but wouldn't have happened if we hadn't have gone through that revolution. So I think what I observe is that we're, we're actually all inviting a, an experience where we have to start taking responsibility for what we choose, for what we say yes to, for what we agree to, for who we vote for, how we use our money, because ultimately um, what we are seeing once again is that opportunists that are very smart will always be smart opportunists, and the more they can distract us with sleight of hand or otherwise, the more they can establish control and get far enough down the line that it's really hard to do. Like, you could only wait so long before you had to intervene on Hitler before you were dead or yeah. forced into a concentration camp. And I think all of us are at a time in our evolution where this generation has now got to take more responsibility for what it means to yeah. be a human being and what do we need collectively on this planet and can we really be letting corporations buy water wells and stop us from drilling our own water can we can we really afford to have government agencies killing people with advanced patent technology for free energy and cures for cancer and writing suicide notes and making it look like they've disappeared when really those are the very geniuses we should be honoring, worshiping, and celebrating and giving Nobel prizes to and, and things like that instead of corporations sweeping them under the carpet and defacing them. And so I think COVID is actually a great invitation to say, wake up, pay attention, don't believe everything you read, even if it's from a scientific study, because a lot of them are bought and paid for, and it's time to actually get clear on what we need worldwide as a collective so that we can continue to enjoy our movies and continue to enjoy um, the 
safety and security of knowing that the way we're treating other people in the world and the way we're treating nature is actually sustainable and not going to cause perpetual cycles of death and destruction that are unnecessary. Yeah, I and I totally agree with you about, you know, back to the, the personal responsibility point yeah. where, you know, we talked a little earlier about my, my stoic philosophy nature yeah. and like, that's kind of where all that leads us is I'm always looking inward. Like at this point, I don't, almost to a fault where like someone could literally stab me in the back and I'd be like, well, why didn't I turn around quicker? Why, <laughs> you know, why I probably gave them that knife. Why did I give them a knife? You know, like I'm, I probably taught them how to use yeah, it. <laughs> like I, I trained that guy to stab people in the back. Like what I should have, you know, like which points, right. Who trained bin Laden? Yeah. We did. Yeah. Right. So there I, it is. I, I'm big on that personal responsibility thing. And like you were mentioned about the contract and yeah. people don't know what they're signing up for. For me, I sign up for something. If I didn't read the contract and I, in the end, get royally, you know, screwed. screwed I, I just look at myself and go, "That was dumb. Yeah. I should have known better. Yeah. I, next time, I will do better." You know, so I don't. I guess maybe it's my stoic nature. I never give myself the luxury of that cop out or like, "Well, you took advantage of me. I didn't know that." It's more like, "Crap, I, I screwed up. This is my fault." Won't happen again. You yeah. know, it was like, "Fool me once, shame on <laughs> you. you. Fool me twice, shame, shame on, on me." me. So yeah. that's kind of where I am on a lot of things. And, you know, back to, and same with the, the health thing. If, if you're, you know, obviously you might affect elderly people different or whatever, yeah. but if you're a normal healthy or normal, you know, middle-aged or younger adult, you shouldn't really be that concerned about it if you've been taking care of your health yeah. properly. And everybody has their own issues. You might have immune issues, whatever, yeah. but and at that case, you might need to take extra precautions. But if you're just lazy and overweight and don't eat right and don't get good sleep and yeah. you're stressed out and you have bad relationships and then you get COVID, if that were me, I'd, I wouldn't be going, oh, if only the government would have made that guy wear a mask more. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, you know, I'm, I'd be like, this is my own freaking fault. Yeah. Like, I could have prevented this. I could have done better. And I, I've. I don't feel like society's going that direction. It seems to just keep pushing the buck down the line, you know, passing the buck. I mean, well, that's why I think this is a good thing. I hope so. This is what I mean. It's a wake up call and it's a wake up call to say, you better take care of yourself because it doesn't matter if it's COVID, the seasonal flu or the next virus that comes along because viruses mutate constantly. So the truth is there could be 50 versions of the COVID, but we just don't know it yet. Right. Um, so the, the the thing that COVID's done, one, is it's really made people become more aware that they have to participate in their own health and that a lot of the things the medical system is not is telling them just aren't working because a lot of these people that are overweight, out of shape, and sick are doing exactly what doctors have been telling them to do. And they're yeah. doing exactly what so-called nutrition experts have been telling them to do. I mean, when you look at the fact that when I went to published my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, I had a top literary agent named Margaret McBride, McBride who did the four-minute managers for, I believe it was Ken Blanchard, uh, had a lot of major successes. And if anybody could get a book published, it would be her, which is why I chose her. We could not get a single of the major publishers in the United States, mostly headquarters in New York, to publish my book. Judith Regan offered me $35,000 and I said, there's no way I'm going to let you have that book because you own my copyright. 90% of books go out of uh, print on the first print run because they're not effectively marketed or read. You don't have near enough an investment to do the work to protect my investment in the public. And at that time, Sally Fallon had done extensive research in the publishing industry and found that up until 
uh, between, I can't remember what year it was. I don't want to quote, but it was like a huge period of like 20 or 30 years that not one single book by any publisher of any significance had ever mentioned the truth of saturated fats, eating the whole animal, you know, none, <laughs> yeah. no major, why? Because it went against the industry, the food industry and all the people making money off of selling all the low fat crap and all the diet illusions. So what you find when you start trying to work with some of these major organizations that they're all linked into other systems and they won't do anything that minimizes the knock-on effect because they're all making money off each other's story and off each other's game, right? So it really was... So I said, fuck it, I'm going to publish the book myself. And and we've sold about 190,000 copies now, but I would love to have done as well as The Zone Diet because Judith Regan published The Zone Diet. And what I'm teaching in my book is a million times more potent than that. So, you know, what am I saying? I'm saying sometimes you have to actually stand up for what you believe in and you have to go out yeah. and make the effort to give people the opportunity to have the choice and you'll be a pioneer that will end up with arrows in your back because you will be going <laughs> against the party line and most people don't think enough to know whether what they're being told in the mainstream is actually true. They just assume it is. So anybody that goes out of the consensus norm is attacked as some kind of a weirdo or you know, what do you, you eat butter? Are you kidding me? My doctor says that's going to clog my arteries and I'm going to die of a heart attack. Well, I always say, well, then I have a question for you. How do we evolve for millions of years in nature eating saturated fat, cow's milk, butter? Any trapper would tell you there's one thing you take into the wild. It's lots of butter. Yeah, lots it's of fat. Lots of fat, right? And so how did we become Americans and migrate and, and uh, you know, deal with Indians and the savages of the wild and the insects and the animals of the wild. Did we think we did it on fucking low fat Twinkies? No way. Yeah. But people don't have common sense. Yeah. It's, Oh, I don't know. It's, it's such a thing to sort out now too. And because the information highway is, is like such a double-edged sword as well. There's yes. so much coming at you. Mm-hmm that there's almost an equal amount of crap as there is good stuff now. And I believe a lot of the good stuff is now has a voice too, because you don't need, you know, like I said, a, a ton of money to publish a book on something right. Like you can get it out there. And I, I've seen the paleo community evolve Yes, and that has taken some weird turns as well, where yeah. you kind of got these offshoots and you're like, all right, I think you lost the message yeah, here, yeah. you know, but that's always going to happen because again, at the end of the day, there's people trying to make money off of something. Yes. But yeah. without, you know, with, I mean, without things like Facebook, without things like Instagram, Twitter, all that, a lot of there, a lot of people and ideas would never have gotten a voice. So it's like, yeah, it's hard to sort out and you got to, it takes a whole, it's like a whole nother job in itself of trying to sort out right and wrong and your own personal health and that too. Yeah. You know, um, it's tough to do on your own. You know, if you have the yeah. luxury to be able to have a coach yeah. to help you through that. Yeah. Awesome. I think um, I think personally what I really see is is a lot of the issues that we're talking about boil down to a loss of moral awareness at every level of our society. A moral is a code of conduct that is life affirmative. If large corporations from drilling corporations to military organizations to churches to education systems to government officials 
uh, if they would actually orient themselves towards asking the question, is this sustainable and is it life affirmative, right? Poisoning the earth is not moral. It's legalizing inventions and backing them with science that kill people is not moral. And we have this divide between science and morality, and they say, oh, that's not in our ballpark. So we'll make microwave ovens and 5G systems and all this other shit, and we'll show you scientifically that it works really well, but we won't really give a shit if it's going to kill you or beach whales or fuck the world up or etc. So I think, you know, the function of religion is to teach us what is a moral. What is it? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? And how do we engage people with different ideas and different ways of relating to minimize bloodshed and the loss of life? And it seems to me that we are at a point where we really have to reevaluate our moral compass from the bottom to the top, because we're actually getting so used to instant gratification that we're forgetting what it costs the ocean and the sky and the earth to allow us to have this sort of fantasy playland of, of an yeah. experience, right? It's like uh, the average tomato on a person's plate today travels 1,500 miles by jet to get to you, right? So the question is, why don't we get our fucking tomatoes from local gardeners instead of Mexican gardeners that are using chemicals that are not regulated by the United States government at pennies on the dollar, and so then you find out, well, look, if you look at the carbon footprint, that's a lot of money. Why don't we just educate everybody? Hey, who wants to farm tomatoes so that the county that we're living in has tomatoes? Who wants to do this? But if if people only make money their genuine interest at a in at a company level, at a corporate level, at a personal level, but they don't make asking the question is this money made or spent actually creating an environment for that is better for our children or worse than the one they're in now, then we actually can um, create a world that is so magical and mysterious to be in, but we have no idea that the end is very near. Yeah. No, I agree. And it seems, and I, a lot of people have this utopian vision of, uh, if we all, we, this is all sustainable and we could do this, but it would, it would really require everybody kind of quit their day jobs and start farming again and yes. being, which to me sounds great. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. So how do we find the balance in between there of what we can do sustainably and safely? Uh, and I don't have those answers. Those well, you know, the, <laughs> the, the answer that I've always had is that there's nothing, there's no better proof than the evidence. The proof is in the pudding. People say to me, Paul, how is it that you are 59 years of age and you're still able to outperform professional athletes regularly? I say, it's real simple. I actually practice what I teach. I am the living embodiment of my own teachings and I cannot give you better evidence than that. Sure, I could do a statistical analysis and say, check practitioners make this much money a year, they're this success, successful, but that would be just like using statistics to create a convincing argument for you, and most people are too lazy to look into it. But the answer that I'm giving you to your own query is, 
when enough of us become farmers and start living and depending upon each other to create a sustainable community, and we then are exposed to other people living another way, and they see that we're happier, healthier, our children are healthier, we're not letting people stick needles up our kids into our kids' bodies and full of poison under some guise of medicine, and that we actually have healthy, viable, tangible evidence. I think that's the only the only way forward. So the point I'm making is guys like me and you, look, you 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 know how important this sanctuary is right here, right? And think of how many lives will be changed here. And I have my own, and many of my students have built sanctuaries like this all over the world, from Russia to Australia to you name it. And people come there and absolutely have life-changing experiences and go back and change the way they feed their children, change the way they eat, the way they live, and change the way they run their companies. So, you know, a good idea always starts somewhere, and oftentimes with only one or two people. But the next thing you know, we all have light bulbs in our houses, and we all have cell phones in our hands, and we all have cars, right? Well, if we can do it with cell phones, light bulbs, and cars, we can do it with what we've got to do to um, create a world that is respectful of the beings in nature that support us from the soil to the oceans to the birds, the bees, the flowers, and the trees, because you don't need to be very smart to figure out without them, we're, we're gone. No, no more movies. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess that now I just have more questions. Um, <laughs> 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 and so every time I listen to your podcast, I was like, now I just have more questions, but it is something I struggle with a lot in the movie industry is, I mean, if you look at like, like and we talked about it earlier, what it takes to make a movie, you've got hundreds and hundreds of people working, staying in hotels, eating food, consuming fossil fuels, whatever. I mean, and for months, maybe a year at a time, and all you get out of it is this two hour long, maybe two hours, maybe an hour and a half long picture that goes on a screen and plays and people cheer and yes. spend money on it. So, but being involved in that industry now, like I have a genuine love for making movies and yes. the process and the creation and everything that goes into it. And then I step back sometimes and look at it and go, we're just destroying the fucking environment by making any movie at any yeah. time. Like it's a waste of resources, a waste of people, yeah. a waste of everything. But then I love it. Like, mm -hmm. I'm so happy to be there. I'm proud when I see that movie, like it's a piece of me. Like I know I get goosebumps. I'm like, I remember that, I, you know, it's something that I genuinely love. So like, how do you, you know, and I, I would love to just, you know, give it up and start a farm. But I don't know if that would make me happy. I don't know if I'd be happy on this farm doing that kind of thing. Like, what? will I still yearn for this other creation thing that I fell in love with? Well, you know, I all I can do is share my perspective on that. And, and here's what it is. We all know the movie industry is a very profitable industry or it wouldn't keep going. You couldn't make $100 million movies if they weren't making a hell of a lot more money than that. And I think a lot of actors like Brad Pitt and and uh, people like uh, Madonna and Donna Karen have gone out to third world countries and have started art programs and education programs. And all I'm saying is there's always a cost to almost anything. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, when you walk across your front yard, you're killing billions of microorganisms that are there to support you. And that's why in real good national parks, they have signs saying, don't yeah. walk off the trails. Don't pick these flowers. Don't yes. do this. Yeah. 
And so all I'm saying is, if we all just said, okay, what is the impact of making this movie or having this war or building this building or having these rockets? And how do we take some of the money from that and compensate by saying we have to regenerate the environment so that we're not creating a perpetual negative state? I think that's, in a lot of ways, that's all there is to it. I mean, I believe the same technology that got us in trouble is the technology that can get us out of trouble, except we have to change our focus and our awareness, not just to the end of the product itself, but the actual ramifications and the cost of production so that we know how to bring it to zero scum, some balance the scales. You know what I'm saying? Like make it level so that there's equanimity in the process. But what we have now is just a small number of people getting richer and richer and richer and trying to impose, impose more and more control on people and so rich that they can control the governments, can control the laws, can control the media. And so now we actually have... Um, the, the most dangerous viruses on the planet actually are human beings is what it's turning out to be. And so, it, which brings up a question I had for you, you know, with the advanced technology they're using now with digitization and things like Disney movies and, and all the special effects that they can do, how much of a movie is being made in, shall we say, a uh, digital reality, not even using the actual actors. And, and, and at what point will that become a threat to guys like you that are doing stunts physically, but maybe will then become cartoonized? And, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to say earlier, but I forgot to mention it because I didn't want to disrupt your flow, was, you know, one of my favorite shows is Blacklist. And Blacklist happened before the last season, uh, COVID happened before the last season finished. And their last episode, they had to do with all these animated kind of cartoon-like characters because none of the actors could go do the acting. So they finished the series by by digitizing it and creating character character caricatures, right? Almost yeah. half like human cartoons. So... How do, how how much of Hollywood is really now becoming all computer generated, and 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 how might that impact people like you? Oh, that's a thing we we struggle and talk a lot about all the time. So far, and and I guess it depends a lot on the movie and what's happening. You know, we I think very much with you know like the John Wick Atomic Blonde movies went very very back to the grassroots of like we need to have an actor that can do all this stuff. We have a fight team that do all this stuff. There's not much CGI, very, very little visual effects. Um, and we're just going to make a really good fight movie, but mm -hmm. could you make a movie like Avengers like that? Mm -hmm. Or, um, Avatar, you know, even the original matrix movies, there was a right. lot of CG in those. And at the time it was revolutionary. And they, in my opinion, they still hand up to hold up today. You can yeah. watch those and go, they're still really good, well-made movies. Yeah. And at the time was groundbreaking, but, you know, I think it works well in the Matrix because you knew there was an alternate reality, the Matrix mm -hmm. world. It in your brain you can sort that out and go, okay, I get that this is CGI. Or there's that scene I think in the second one where he fights like a hundred versions of Agent Smith, uh -huh. and they a lot of them look a little on the fake side. And, uh -huh. But you're like, yeah, it's the Matrix. That's fine. But for me, even now, when I still see full CG characters or even face replacement, there's like still something in my brain that goes that's not right. Like I know that and you can get away with a little bit of it. Um, 
but I still, I don't, I, I guess, and a lot it's going to depend on the viewer and yeah. how they decide they want to see that content from now on. Right. I know personally myself, I don't really care for a lot of that stuff. Really well done stuff. And, you know, in a Marvel movie, they're superheroes. Like yes. I can, I can put my brain there and yeah. accept a certain amount mm-hmm. of that stuff. But when they start doing it, uh, I think just for the sake of replacing a person that they don't have at the time right. with, for no reason, I don't know if that ever will, will take off and if that's the, the audience will accept that. Um, I don't like it still. I think, it, I think it's the equivalent of like, uh, you know, they've got some really, really good sex dolls out there now. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty close. I've seen pictures of them and yeah. I'm like, holy crap. But like, there's no way that that's going to feel like a real partner. And I feel like, we're right there, and what is that? Um, I can't remember the name of the. It's like a curve they talk about where when when bell curve. Well, it has to specifically to do with technology and robots. When they start to look too human, it gets really weird, and that they don't look human enough. Or no, if they if they look close to human, we'll never know the difference. There's right. a, the point where they get there, where they're close enough, we won't tell. Then there's the really crappy robot version and everybody can tell it's not a big deal it's that weird in between where you're like uh th- i don't quite know what that is <laughs> and that's the that's the uncomfortable I don't know zone who i just had sex with yeah like that's the un- and there's a you ever, have you seen ex machina no it's it's a movie about oh yes the i guy, have yeah, yes yes where it's kind of they play with that really well where it's like okay you you kind of know it's a robot and i think the guy thinks it's a robot but right. after all these interactions he's like is that really a robot yes and that's the real creepy part <laughs> and i think we're we're bridging that stage right now with all the face replacement and stuff is yeah. you, your mind still knows a little bit like that didn't his mouth moved weird or that was kind of off but uncanny valley yes thanks your lovely assistant that's my my lovely wife <laughs> the uncanny valley thank you penny for that awesome yeah. i was couldn't remember that in my brain but um i i feel like we're exploring that right now in the film industry where what what can we get away with and still have it look like real enough or people will accept it for me i still don't like it and as a performer you know i obviously don't want to lose my job but i there's an aspect of performing and doing the stunts realistically that is still really inspiring to me a lot of fun and i like to see when we like do big car wrecks or that kind of stuff like it's really cool you know i know they can do that cg and there's scenes in movies where i know that was cg and it still looked pretty good but when you're there on set doing it it's it's an experience that like when you see them pipe ramp a car and it just boom 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 boom, boom, through a a city street yes and it's been planned so well it didn't hit the buildings that are all over and you go, wow, that was incredible. And the amount of work that it took to put into that. And, you know, I'm not also not trying to downplay the amount of work that a CGI animator would have to do. Cause that again is hours, days, oh, yeah. years, maybe man, That's practically frame by like, frame, isn't it? Thousands of man hours to like, digitally alter a face you yes. know, or make that person look older or yeah. whatever. And that's an art in itself, which I have a lot of respect for as well. But if you're, if you're doing it for this, for a necessary purpose, I don't have a problem with that. If you're doing it just because, well, COVID says we can't have this actor, so we'll just make it a fake person. And I, I, I'll never be happy about that, and I won't ever agree with it. I have a, a question, and I told you I was going to ask you this so you wouldn't be shocked by it, but there's a lot of documentaries out that are pretty damn thorough showing how the movie industry is really using, being used to, um, shall we say, enculturate people into ways of perceiving and relating to corporations, the world, and different ideas and values that they don't realize are being put into their minds i always tell my students there's something you need to always remember the word television 
means tell a vision. And if you're not discerning enough to differentiate what's being shown to you, then you actually can mistake an an illusion. A movie is an illusion for reality. And so, uh, you know, I've also heard that the CIA has people involved and that they're basically they're using advanced technology through movies and that things like there's no such thing as a car or any of the equipment in the movies it's not part of the marketing campaign or the payment of the movie so therefore the movie is actually a large um commercial with a storyline i was curious from being on the inside what's your take on all that um i mean that that's definitely a I think a real thing that happens in certain movies and you know, there's been straight up propaganda movies made, whether you knew it or not, that were designed to make you feel a certain way about a certain subject. And, um, and then again, you know, they might not have been government propaganda. There might just be like, you know, that director had a vision that this is what I want to show about this topic. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody based their information on that JFK movie. I can't remember which one it was, uh, but er that's how everybody thought the, assassination happened that right. movie came out no that, that was like a bunch most of it was made up half yeah. of it didn't happen but yeah. the, in people's minds like that's yes. what they thought happened and, yeah. and i think partly they made that movie so they could give people closure on it and people would see it and go okay we can quit thinking about this shit now um and i know that happens a lot mm-hmm. um i think i've been fortunate with you know the the, the two um directors that i work for they just love action movies and that's all they wanted to do from starting as low level stunt guys, you know, on Buffy the vampire slayer back (laughs) in the nineties to now directing the biggest action movies of the year. That was really their main drive. And I've never seen it like, Oh, they, they want to, if they are putting out propaganda, it's that, uh, you know, Western directors can make good kung fu movies. <laughs> you know, that's what they're, that's what they're fighting against. You know, yeah. they've always all the typically all the good martial arts choreography was always coming out of Asia. You yeah. know, they had a lock on that, and what they really wanted to do is like bring that to the Western world. Um, and I think the Matrix movies were the first movies that really showed that. Yeah, you know, um, that like. Hey, here's a bunch of you know white guys doing cool cool moves in choreography. Yeah. Um, so that that was possible, just to break that mold a little bit. Um, so luckily, I've been fortunate enough to not. I haven't had that experience, and I haven't had to see that um, from the people that I've worked with. And maybe in their higher level brain or even their subconscious, there are certain things they are doing. You know that happens that way, but. All as a company, 87-11s want to do is just make badass action films from the start. And that's always been their vision. So I think I've got a very, uh, I don't know if I call it privileged, but, you know, luckily good experience with that. You that's know, great. You could have you could have a good, you know, I'm sure there's really good priests out there. But there's also a lot of bad ones. Yes, Lu- there you know, is. Luckily, I got involved with some really good ones. Who yeah. Just, they, they really have a love for making movies. Yeah, that's you know? great. I'm and glad to hear that. To your second point about the, the advertisement thing. Um, probably sometime more than others, but a lot of it goes to just help get the movie made. You know, even the first time I really knew in Atomic Blonde, Charlize's character is always drinking Stoli vodka. Well, Stoli, we kind of shopped it around to some vodka company goes, who wants to pay us some money to use the vodka in the movie? And I don't know how much they paid, probably a few, maybe quarter of a million dollars, but that was a big part of our budget. Our budget for that movie below the line, which is our production budget was only like $17 million. We did not have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So quarter of a million dollars is a whole nother day of shooting. Yeah. So if, 
Stoli, if if we got to basically do a big long ad for Stoli to get our movie made, well, cool. We're not really pushing a vodka on anybody or a car company or whatever, yeah, but it's alcohol um, in someone's hand. But there is there's a there's a whole marketing department that does that. The product placement team. That's yes. what that's what they do. They mm-hmm. find things in the movie that go, wow, this guy uses this same car all the time well we tell james bond's driving us such and such okay dodge how much do you want to give us to have him drive a charger hey ford how much you want to give us to have a drive a mustang um so i wouldn't say it's you know there's much higher level thought to that that i've been exposed to again i have a well i I know i have a limited perspective audi spent some money on uh, cars in there with the transporter i've seen a lot of audis in these top movies which is cool because i love my audi i have an audi a3 and it's just so much fun to drive yeah and and i'm sure like Fast and Furious movies, he's got that Challenger and that, yeah. like, I'm sure Dodge contributed heavily or at least donated the hundred cars they needed to wreck, <laughs> you know? Wreck, yes. Um, so, and you know, the, you know, like the Dwayne Johnson, the rock, he's heavily sponsored by Under Armour, you know? So he's always wearing his Under Armour gear, uh-huh. uh, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and we've had companies approach us like that too, that want to put their stuff in the movie. And we go, look, ninjas don't wear Nike. So... <laughs> I would love to. I would love to outfit these these super soldiers in the latest Nike sweatshirts, but yeah. that's not going to happen for this movie. No. You know? So I, I'm sure. Like I said, there's there's still a whole another part of the movie business I haven't been exposed to the very high level yeah. stuff. I'm sure there's some shit that goes down that would make me even cringe and go, "What? Go I start heck? a farm? <laughs> yeah, go quit. Give it up and go start a farm." But I guess I I'm in a sheltered, happy, privileged world of just being able to make cool action movies. Well, that, that leads me to, you know, my second to last question. What are some good action movies coming out that we can look forward to? Do you have any insider tips on that? Uh, I don't. I'm, um, you know, it, and it's weird because everything's kind of being pushed to streaming. You know, like Netflix, I, I'd say Netflix, I think, might be the biggest studio at this point, other than Disney. Disney, yeah. Disney owns most of the planet, I think, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but Netflix is huge, so they're um, they're doing a lot of stuff. Um, I feel like they quite haven't got to the big budget world of making an awesome film yet. I think they're going to get there. Mm-hmm. They're still making these things that they can pump out and turn around very quickly. But I don't know. I mean, we're... We're waiting on John Wick Four. I'm hoping that's mm. gonna go gonna go. But we're also supposed to shoot in a bunch of different countries around the world, and right now you just can't do that. Then a lot of the bigger ones have been put on hold. As far as action movies coming out, I don't know. Some of the uh, stuff that I've seen come out on through Amazon and Netflix have actually been quite decent. Their series is you know, they, like they've gone series. a lot. Yeah, there's I. I, I mean, I almost live exclusively on Amazon and Netflix at this point as yeah. far as series, and they're getting way way better. Um, and I, I think they're only going to get, get more, but they also have, they have a whole different model they're working with as far mm-hmm. as subscription based things, you know, and we, we even did some re- we pitched a project to them. We did some research. They think they've already maxed out their United States subscribership. Wow. So they've already, so now mostly all the stuff they're doing has, must have an international appeal to it because they're now trying to get users in India and europe and Mm -hmm. and you know china whatever they they already know that they've 90 you know 95 percent of the people that would ever sign up for netflix in the u.s are already signed up so they can't sell a movie now just marketed towards americans right (laughs) it's got to have an international appeal or international music appeal or something like that so everything's doing going through a huge shift right now and they have tons of money and tons of power and 
and now with movie theaters being closed, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of throwing a big wrench in the works. And now they're proving that they can release movies strictly streaming. I think like Troll, the Troll movie made like $200 million just streaming alone, wow. which is crazy. So now everybody's kind of rethinking like, well, oh, what do we, do we really need to put it in theaters? That's a lot of work. Yeah. They have to pay the movie theaters to show their movie. Oh, they do. Yeah. That's how, that's when you get that big release. So, you know, it's the premiere and they'll basically buy out 5,000 theaters in the country. Right. And that's, you know, they can make or break a movie based on how much PNR they want to put into that sort of thing. Like if you want to release your movie in a thousand theaters, you're know, probably not going to sell very many tickets. Right. Um, if you release in 5,000 theaters, well then you have these huge blockbuster numbers, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So that's, and again, it's all based on these formulas. They plug everything in. You got this lead actor, you got mm-hmm. it shot in this country. It's mm-hmm. got this music, blah, blah, blah. We think it's going to make this much. So this is how much we'll budget it for. Mm-hmm. And this is how we'll do the movie. Did you ever see the Genius series on Amazon with one was on Picasso and the other one was on Albert Einstein? No, I have not. Phenomenal. Two amazing, well done series, really authentic from my, I studied uh, three of Einstein's biographies in my life because he's one of my heroes and I just thought it was fantastic really gave you the sense of what it was like to be Albert Einstein. And then the Picasso uh, series was just, it was Antonio Banderas as Picasso, and he just played the role so good. Oh, so they have like actors yeah. portray oh, that. Yeah, oh, that's man. cool. Full on. I mean, yeah. it's really well done. And it's like 10 episodes. So it's like a 10, 10 one-hour movies that you get to watch that all are a coherent story. And really, I mean, not only were they really good, but when you think of all the things that you and I have just been talking about, about life, about COVID, about, you know, governments, wars, the challenges human beings go through, when you see what Einstein and Picasso both live through, you realize what we're going through now is nothing new. It's just that it's happening through technology instead of being put right in your face with someone smashing your door down and trying to throw you in jail for being a Jew or kill you or, or uh, things like that. Uh, but you, you see the whole archetypal storyline, like the hero's journey sort of storyline, um, it's just reinventing itself now through advanced technology. And when you look at what those guys live through in the circumstances, pretty freaking intense. Like it really shows you how much depth of character Einstein and Picasso had to have to survive just being them. I would highly recommend it to all of you listening too. I will definitely watch that because I'm always, I'm always looking for series as well. And there's so many, that's a, a, a good thing definitely about the streaming platforms is it's opened up this whole new world of a lot more creative ideas and they have a lot bigger range and more money to give to smaller creative projects like that. Like, you know, 10 years ago, that project never would have been done because they didn't have the outlet for it. What would they do with this? Like CBS isn't going to play it. NBC is not going to put that on. Right. But now they're, they're all need so much content all the time that really cool things are getting made all the time. There's so many good documentaries Mm -hmm. that are being made all the time. Um, And now of course, again, with technology, people have access to amazing cameras, amazing editing tools so you can go and shoot your own documentary relatively cheap and then sell it to netflix yes i know many you that know. have done i've been on several of them yeah so that's another great aspect as well and then i really enjoy there's been a lot of just really 
deep thinker kind of weird technology like i don't know do you watch the black mirror series no but people have uh, you're probably the third or fourth person to it's, tell me that's it's really just good. it's just fun to like see it it it, it you ever watch like the Twilight Zones? Yeah, in the a day? long time so ago. So imagine those, but but the the creepy part is our reliance on technology these right. days, like Facebook and those kind of things, yeah. and how that you know you even see it in China. China's now starting their social credit program, where like uh, they're restricting what people can and can't do, where they can and can't live based on their social status and how much money they have. Oh and, wow like so there's there's plays on that in black mirror and stuff too and um uh that's a good series another one on hulu i think called devs that i hmm. I, I love if you watched it to just interpret what you think about it because it's about this super quantum computer they make that can apparently extrapolate data and recreate any moment in history wow so basically they're searching to get back to when jesus was actually crucified um but it's the bigger story is why the guy's really doing it is because you know some things happen in his life. But it's called Devs, like D E V S. Yeah, Devs um, on Hulu. On Hulu. I've never used Hulu, but it keeps trying to insert itself into. My <laughs> well, life. yeah, that was the thing too. I I think I won't tell anybody. I borrowed some Hulu one time, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just I like that there's a lot of deep thinker pieces that Yeah, I um, love that stuff. Just exploring and then you like to really get in your own brain and like what would that situation really be like and is that possible and a lot of bigger questions about the universe and you know God and mm, I love what, that. what that really is. I gotta write that down right now. Devs yeah. on Hulu. Yeah, I think it's on Hulu, but you'll find it on De I think it well, I think it was on originally like FX or something, but then now Hulu's kind of the the dumping grounds of TV shows that they no longer air on the, the networks. Yeah. Um, well, just to close it out, you know, what popped into my head, like, like what would I want to ask Kale? Obviously a successful stuntman with a lot of skills, production inside of Hollywood to kind of close it out. And so what came to me is right now with COVID, one of the things that's come out and I've had a lot of people ask me to address is a lot of people feel lost in life and they don't really know how to find their purpose or what their dream is. So I would love it if you could share, if you had the opportunity to reach a lot of people that are in that place in their life where they're not really sure what they want to be or what their passion is or what their purpose is or what, what, what is the meaning of life? Cause you know, with all the financial ruin and all the social distancing and loss of connection, it's caused a huge amount of suicides and a lot of violence in families. And a lot of young people, particularly between the age of about 16 and 30, from what I've seen from all the people reaching out to me, they're really having a hard time figuring out what it's all about and, and why they're here. I'm curious, as a guy who's now lived 41 years of life, didn't even know he'd end up being a, uh, acting in movies and be a stuntman and came to the realization that, you know, there's magic behind the curtain. Um, what would you share with people that are in that state? Oh, man. Based on your own life experience. That's, that's not an easy question to go out with, Paul. Hey, man, well, you're <laughs> hanging out with the, me. I'm, that's you know, be the, I'm not going to well, ask you what the difference between a, a good camera and a bad camera is oh, on the clothes. Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, a short, short version, like I, we talked earlier about my kind of stoic philosophy and nature. Like I've always, always been one to just kind of think to myself, if I just keep, keep working hard, 
stay humble, work hard. And, you know, everybody says that shit, but, um, eventually I think if you try hard enough, like you'll, you'll get there. But what I've really found has saved me in most situations is yes, I have a career part that I love, but that's been basically put on hold for six months now or Mm -hmm. more, but there are other parts of my life that I cling to that are my routine that I also love too. Like number yeah. one, working out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a great partner through this whole thing. My girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, has taught me so much about myself, my family. Um, I, like I said, I have a great family who I adore. And these are things that always keep me grounded mm-hmm. that are, I guess the pillars, you know, and you might, you might not be at the top, but you're not also at the bottom. So, I think everybody, I hope people can find something, a part of their life that keeps them, I guess, holding on. You know, it's a foothold. It's a handhold that when shit gets really bad, you know, like I've always, even, like I said, we talked about, I went through that depression of a year playing Xbox, but I went to the gym still every day. And that might've been the two hours of my day that I didn't feel like shit, but that was enough to get me through that year of crap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess- if you know if your career was what you had invested your happiness in and that's what you needed to be happy i think you got some real searching to do mm-hmm. to realize that that's just a part of you mm-hmm. and there's probably way other parts of you too that are as important or should be important yeah. in my opinion that you need maybe you've just got to focus on those for a while maybe it's just your dog you know mm-hmm. i had an amazing dog you know and she passed away a few years ago i haven't got a new dog yet but like she was like my rock, you know, mm-hmm. I would come home every day and she's happy to see me. And there were times that I didn't want to get out of bed mm. and I had to, cause I had to take her for a walk, mm-hmm. you know? So stuff like that. So, I mean, I guess that's <laughs> my only advice is if, if you feel pretty lost right now, like there's, there's little guiding lights along the way that you can cling to while you might be fumbling in the darkness but you know you find a log and you're like oh i recognize this log yeah <laughs> and then you, you know maybe you trip over the next rock but you fall into a, mm-hmm. a puddle and you're like oh this is the pond i like you know yeah i don't even know if that makes sense at this point oh, but it does yeah i think what you're saying from you know just listening to it is look for what gives you the st- stability not only through the good times, but through the bad times. What's the common denominator? You know, like the common denominator is, you know, you feel better when you're exercising, no matter how much or how little money you're making. Yep. You know, you feel better when you're eating good food, no matter how much or how money little you're making. You know, you feel better when you stay connected to family and people that you love, no matter what's going on in the world, for better or worse. So what I'm what I'm interpreting, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is instead of getting lost in what you don't have, pay attention to what you do have and what are the things that you do have that ultimately give you the what you called the, the foothold or the handhold that allows you to get to the next level as you can kind of process the situation. Yeah, no, that's a, a great way to, that's exactly what I was saying. So good. yeah. That means I'm a good student. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, well, you're better eloquent Descript, describer than me. Is that a word? Well, describer? Yeah, describe, it is now. <laughs> you, you put it together very coherently where I was talking about puddles and lo- logs and shit. So you were like, no. Yeah, well, you know, I, you know, uh, I guess interpreting, but, I, you know, I, I was understanding it. I just think that so other people could possibly realize what you're saying is, hey, we all have the joy of eating, we hope. We all have 
the joy of having a place to live. We hope we all have uh, people that love us. And if we don't, it's our job to take the opportunity to really learn to love ourselves. So if we look at the things that really anchor us so that we can continue to participate in the majesty and the mystery of life, then it'll carry us through the trials and tribulations because they're they're always there, right? Nobody's yeah. nobody's life's free. Yeah. Of it. I figure that, you know, no matter how bad you are, there's gotta be something in your life that you still love. And so you cling to that. And yeah. then maybe you find another thing that you love. And now you got two things that you love. And yeah. then you find another thing and you know, hopefully you find your way back to whatever it is that you truly want to do and be in life. But it's it's the little things a lot of times that that keep me going anyways. Me too. That's you why know? I love a good smoke. Yeah. I yeah. love a good smoke of clean tobacco and herbs and it feels like I'm it's like the peace pipe to me. It's like I'm I take a moment to just be present with the world and the realities of the challenges and the fears and the joys and the glories and you know being a daddy and it's just like it's my reminder not to go too fast to stop so that I don't forget to take a little bit of time to just celebrate and to share, to share a bag with you or yeah. friends. It's just like, let's not get so caught up in work and deadlines and money that we forget to get the peace pipe out. So for me, it's a symbol of celebration. And so there's one of my little handholds because uh, I've been through plenty of my firestorms in my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for me, I think I, if I had to name one thing, it would, it would be in the gym, you know, yeah. like, and it's a, a spot and no matter what city you're in, no matter what country you're in, somewhere there's a deadlift bar and it's always makes me feel maybe not like home, but like, I know where I am at that point, at that very moment in time, I know exactly where I am and the rest of my world might be chaos, but yeah. I know where I am at that time. And that's what always kind of keeps me grounded and keeps me, that's a, like a reset every day. Yeah, know? I love it. I'm with you. I've been lifting weights consistently since I was 12 years old. And uh, and that includes all sorts of things from stones to being on the road and having no choice but to go out and go in the parking lot and do deadlifts with the bumpers of cars and occasionally setting off an alarm. Yeah, and I, I was probably like maybe 20... It was my late 20s. I decided I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder. I was going to be a pro bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. And so I, I worked with a guy at the gym and I did some questionable things mm -hmm. and I embarked down that road and I was prepping for a show. I was about eight weeks into like a 12-week prep. I was going to compete. And then I realized I hated every fucking second of that. I yeah. didn't want to be at the gym. I hated who I was. I was treating people like shit. And you know, four weeks out from the show I was going to do, I just said, I'm done. And he's like, oh, everybody goes through this. Do you, you're not done. You're fine. You know, and he tried talking me through and I was like, you know what? I'm just done. And I've never had the urge to do that again. And then, you know, after that, like the gym and it will always, that was the thing. It was always my happy place. Mm -hmm. Eight weeks of, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Back to my happy place. Yeah. So like sometimes even the things that we cling to too cannot be as happy, but, um, you know, I, it's how we use them. Yeah, it's a balance, and it's a uh, you know you can't abuse the things you love either. Obviously. Yeah. You know. Hey, what a great conversation! I've really enjoyed it. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, man, we were all over the place. Yeah, that was but fun. it's fun. It's yeah. a crazy journey. It is, and and it's exactly like life. You know, yeah. it's it just takes its own course. You know, and normally I do a pile of research, and you know, today I just sort of went and said, "What are some of the things I'd like to ask Kale?" And you know, I wanted to share you because I. I, I, I really love 
you know, you're such a big, powerful guy, you know, and you're, you're kind of like the, the kind of man that a lot of young people would just be absolutely mind boggled to be able to touch and see how real you are or something. And I'm, I remember the first time I met you, I just thought, man, you know, he is really, there's a real calm center inside of him. And it's very different than what you get with most men that have your physique and, 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 uh, have some success. It's often, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, polarity inside of them. It's like, my way or the fucking highway, I'll kill you kind of thing. But with you, I felt this, um, I felt this beautiful, um, live and let live type energy. What's well, that makes me happy. Yeah. Cause like, that's kind of how I, it's a lot more how I see myself to be honest. Like I don't yeah. see myself as that big person. No. And it was know? interesting I, for me. I was like, wow, you know, he's, it's, I would have never, if, if I would have just let my average mind, social mind, look at you and say, he's going to be a badass. He's probably into shit kicking somebody or something. But when I actually got to spend time with you, I thought, you know, he's like a, a real powerful monk. <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a guy that you could spend some time out in the woods and, and just have a great time and feel completely safe and be glad that you got somebody that can wrestle a yeah. fucking grizzly bear with you. Why? Well, I had similar things about you because I I've, <laughs> I've met a few of your I I mean I don't know if people that even take a class but followers are like they, some of them are a little they they have crazy crazy views crazy opinions and <laughs> Alex is, tells me you know you want to go have lunch with Paul and I was like oh man like I I had no idea what to expect I basically thought you were Jesus at that point. <laughs> forgive and, me <laughs> yeah and so i no it was so much better because i was like oh great like oh yes i'm sure you're gonna be you know just sitting there and meditation and, and then you know <laughs> but no we had a great lunch it was great to talk to you and you're like still a normal awesome dude to talk to and then i told alex i'm like that was nothing like i expected he's like what did you expect i was like basically jesus and <laughs> turning water into wine and all kinds of shit <laughs> And uh, I know, wish, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, he's a he's a real person. <laughs> yeah. And Alex was like, yeah, he's awesome. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad we got to have that lunch. Yeah, no, and it's great to be here at Alex's wedding and have some time together and eat some good food. And yeah. So, where can people uh, find more about you? I know you have a couple of websites, and is anything you want to share as we close, uh, so people can <sighs> enjoy. Uh, you know, exploring you and your journey and, and anything else that you want to share? Um, I mean, I guess I'm not super present on social media anymore these Good. days, but I, <laughs> I have a small Instagram page. It's probably mostly me and my dog eating ice cream. Perfect. Um, <laughs> That's those, that, eight, those yeah. are the hand anchor yeah. points. Yeah. It's called at the, or it's at the ice cream giant. Oh, right. So that was a nickname I was given at the paleo show okay. one year, but, cool. um, and the, the companies I work for is 8711 action design. Of course you can probably just 8711. Yeah. 87 E L E V E N. Oh. That's how it's written out. Okay. 87 E L E V E N. E L E V E N action design. Yeah. Um, but you'll mostly just see our movies and that's probably a better, again, our website is probably about five years old and we don't update it. Cause again, we're not super big on social media, but we try to display our presence elsewhere cool yeah well thank you so much what a great treat i uh feel like i've got an an experience of what it's like to be inside the movie as opposed to seeing it and wondering what the hell how did all this shit happen you know well i still have those moments too when i see it and go how the hell do we pull that off (laughs) so right there with you you know the thing is i must say 
there's nothing like a great movie. You know, they're great entertainment, and, and uh, you know, I, I love watching movies with my kids. And um, uh, there was one that was just came out on on Amazon the other day, and I was looking for a movie that I could watch with my son Mana, who's almost you know, four and a half. But uh, you know, he likes real high energy stuff. You know, he gets bored very quick. So the problem is not too much death and stuff that I don't want his mind getting all freaked out. So it's kind of hard to find a movie that I can enjoy that he will also enjoy. And, and this movie came out called um, Love and Monsters. Yeah. And it turned out to be a damn good movie. Yep. And he absolutely loved it. And, you know, I said to my soul, should I rent it or buy it? My soul says, buy it. And I said, okay. I know I'm not going to watch it twice, yeah. <laughs> but there must be a reason. And first thing he said when he got up the next morning, he goes, Dad, can I watch Love and Monsters again? And he really enjoyed the movie and it had a beautiful story to it. And I'm like, you know, um, um, uh, the the movie industry can really add a lot of value and joy and beauty to our lives. And sell, you know, it's a time where we can get together and sort of huddle around what used to be the campfire. And and you know, one of the five questions most skilled shaman will ask you if you come to them with a problem is, when did you stop singing? Because that's usually when your problem started. When did you stop dancing? When did you stop enjoying good stories? When did you stop enjoying being alone with yourself? And when did you lose your sense of the magic, mystery, and awe of life? And so to me, movies really means enjoying a good story and just yeah. actually checking out so thoroughly that the story takes you, takes you away, right, on this you know, become a pirate with Johnny Depp or get into the thrill of being James Bond, the top secret agent of the world, or be, you know, see what it's like to be one of the greatest martial artists in the world and, you know, be able to just <laughs> flip people around. That's where my genuine love for it comes from is the ability, you know, and I've watched some movies that just, and even the ones, there's, there's ones now, I'm kind of in weird movies where I like movies that make me feel uncomfortable. And that's a weird feeling to have as you're watching a movie and I'm getting anxious and uncomfortable. And I, But for them to be able to make me feel like, I can pretty much go anywhere, any situation, and I don't feel out of place. And then I watch this movie and I go, I'm uncomfortable right now. And I'm like, <laughs> that guy has something that he can project through this screen that's magical, you yeah. know, in its own weird way. Um, so yeah, I, I do love that ability. And I think that's what directors, you know, hopefully are always strive for. Some are just in it for a paycheck. Some have alternative motives. But if, in my opinion, if you're not doing it to make people feel whatever, you know, whatever that feeling might be, if they're, if they're not supposed to feel something with your movie, then you're not doing it right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your life with me and with the listeners. And I'm honored. Yeah, and I tell you, I was I listened to a lot of your podcasts. I was like, I don't know if I'm up for this, man. He's got <laughs> these people on here, like they're the doctors and professors, and <laughs> the guy with the bio geometry, bio geometry, Doctor Dr. Abraham, Abraham. Oh my God! I was like, I can't go on Paul's podcast. <laughs> this after this guy, like, oh, oh my God! You know what? I would <laughs> love to introduce you to him. I would love to. Well, next time something like that's going to happen, let me know because all his stuff sold out online. Like, you can't yeah. get any of that packages anymore. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I've Anyways. got a Biogeometry two coming out with his daughter, who was on with him, and she is incredible. Yeah, she hit a home run way over the fence, dude. I was so impressed. It was literally like having him there, but with 
this beautiful feminine presence and intelligence. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that was hard for people is his accent, but Doria, his daughter, has a nice, clean English expression. But uh, if any of you like Biogeometry 1, wait till you hear Biogeometry 2, because it's as good, and we get into lots of really cool, honest questions and applications and what's really going on in the world. So I'm grateful that you're enjoying my podcast. Yeah. Hey, somebody in Hollywood that's a stuntman and a movie producer no. is listening to my podcast. That's about as cool as it gets. <laughs> well, that's my job. This is this is my passion and my hobby is like all the other stuff in my life. You yeah. Know? Um so I like to I like to stay rounded, balanced. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Living 4D. Stay rounded, stay balanced, stay open minded and you know and uh, as they used to say in the army, stay alert and stay alive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I try. Yeah, that's a good stunt uh, stunt thing to go by too, because there's a lot yeah. of stuff that happens on movie sets. So yeah, pay attention. Don't get yourself killed. Yeah, whenever I'm lifting rocks with Mana, I have him repeat back to me multiple times. Mana, what do we never do in a rush rock garden? Never rush in a rock garden, right? Never rush in a rock garden. What are the two A's of being in a rock garden? Stay alert and stay alive, Dad. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's right. Stay alert, stay alive. Yeah. All right. Lots of love to all of you. Thank you to the sponsors for all their support. Thank you for buying the products from the sponsors. They have incredible values. They're incredible people. And any money you spend with them is truly going back into making the world a healthier, better place for all of us. If you love this show, share it with everybody. If you didn't, it's our secret. <laughs> Lots of love. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Kale Schultz. You can follow Kale on Instagram at the ice cream giant. For those of you interested in the services available from 8711 Action Design, check out their website at 8711.net. That's the number eight, the number seven, E-L-E-V-E-N dot net. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. Remember, you can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. 